and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalising Deja Review spoiler special. This month's film, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, chosen by Gordon Webster. And I'm joined, of course, by my usual professors, historians, swashbuckling American heroes, Scott Armour. Alex Andretta. Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> <laughs> quite the delay I'm like full there. Of, I'm like full of sandwich. Like yeah. I took a big bite. Let me let me try that again. Take two. Hang on. Right, okay. okay right, take two. Francis start. Murphy. Yo yo yo. Oh, that was amazing. Well done, Francis. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Gordon Webster. Good evening, Doctor Barry. It's a small <laughs> world, but too small for the two of us. Yep. There you go. And Andrew Webster. I don't have one, but yeah. Good evening, gentlemen. Good, good evening to you all. <laughs> oh, thank. I should think of something better, but... It's all right, it's okay. There, there we go. There we go. Perfect. Nailed it. You did better than Fran. Uh, That's the first time I've been called a gentleman in a long time. <laughs> okay. So it's fine by me. No, is, Steve... For, is, sorry, Scott. It's fine. No. Great. That was great. Uh, <laughs> no, Steve, for this one, guys. It's the five of us for this. Andrew uh, is replacing Steve. This, of course, is the uh, follow-up to the podcast that uh, Andrew and Gordon did, uh, the Temple of Doom one, which uh, will very briefly we can give our. I think we'll start. Let's let's just very briefly because we've got a lot to cover in this one, and we want to try and somehow do this uh, under the two-hour mark. And also, it's a blistering hot Friday night, and we are indoors podcasting. So, and Scott, from the looks of it, seems to be right next to the sun. Uh, so, we want to try and, well, I would actually like to keep going for four hours on the basis of that very <laughs> reason. But for the rest of you guys, uh, we'll, uh, we'll try and keep it brief. So, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, released in 1989, directed by Steven Spielberg, of course. Now, you guys, uh, so, well, actually, uh, we started the Raiders of the Lost Ark review spoiler special. It was one of the first ones we ever did, Scott, back in 2018. And mm. uh, we yeah, we were quite uh, fond of the film. It was a, actually more or less a first watch for me. Uh, I gave it four stars. I think you were the same. Uh, just firstly... Like, yeah, yeah, I can't actually remember what the score was. I think we were close to giving it to five, but we, yeah. we kind of hit the four. Just very briefly on the Raiders, uh, just to get our credentials, where we're at with this entire franchise, to see where everyone sits. Gordon, uh, what would you have given Raiders? Because you weren't on that podcast at the time. For me, Raiders would be a five out of five. I think it's as looking at that stage as good as it gets with Indiana Jones. Okay, all right then, fair enough. Starting with a bang, of course. It is one of those classic films, and it is the birth of a classic character, so I can, I can see the the uh, the kind of reason for that. Andrew, how would you have uh, rated that one as well? Probably would have given it a low five, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's quite a kind of universal appeal and just appeal to different age groups and that kind uh, of thing. And yep. Yep. I, th- I, I think it's... It was fairly kind of pioneering for the time. I don't think there have been too many films like it, and it's quite, obviously it's become quite iconic. It can be a bit kind of comic book at times, that sort of thing, but I think it's done very well. Maybe there's parts of the script aren't so great, but nothing like special effects for its time and that sort of thing, and the characters and all the, just the kind of sets and themes of it, I'd probably go with that. Yeah. I think a five would maybe 
do it justice. Yeah, I can see that. And I think it's one of those things where for me, if it was multiple watches, it had at the time been more or less my first watch. If I had maybe seen it as a kid before, that didn't really count. So it's one of those ones maybe with more watches, I'll have more fondness for the film and it might get that five. But um, Fran, what about yourself? Um, I feel like a bit of a low five. Like, I mean, my, my prevailing memory of that film is being probably about five or six years old and seeing like, it was on the telly. And the guy's head exploding, you know what I mean, melting, and yeah. <laughs> being like, oh my God, what's that? Yeah. But um, I remember watching it later on when I was a wee bit older. And I think that, it, like, I mean, obviously I agree with the stuff that's been mentioned in terms of the, the good qualities with the film. I was always fascinated by the sort of, the kind of almost paranormal creepiness that they applied to the Nazis, particularly in that film. Like the, the well, you see it in across the, when the Nazis appear in Indiana Jones, but there's an almost kind of otherworldly. Yeah aspect to the nazis you know as a, a, a as the, the the kind of main antagonists and i really like that oh, yeah. you mean sorry Fred, like in terms of what kind of happens to them or well th- that and Just... the way that they're presented they're presented almost as like a sort of a, a religious cult almost the way that yeah. they're looking they're hunting for these artifacts and all that and that kind of thing really went on it's really quite quite yeah, sort I can of see that yeah 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 it's really interesting so i just thought i'd point that out because um and, and what you said andrew about it being iconic I 100% agree with that as well. Apparently, um, the first cut of the film, it was too graphic at the end scene. And Spielberg had to, he had to tone it down to actually get it. Because originally, I think it was it was potentially going to be an R-rated film. Um, and they had to kind of tone it down. And I think he used certain techniques to just like, you know how you've got the kind of like spectres that are kind of like floating about? I think he just kind of used them to kind of like black blank out most of the kind of, you know, graphic scenes or sort of thing. So... Aye, it could have been a lot darker. Uh, yeah, I can totally imagine that. So obviously we didn't cover the Temple of Doom one, Scott. Uh, Gordon and Andrew reviewed this one a few episodes back. And very positive, actually, because um, it is a film that has kind of, even at the time, got mixed reactions just from looking at kind of what people have said about it and doing my prep for this one. Um, and obviously Spielberg actually used some of the mixed reactions and, and tried to then change things for the last crusade and try and make it a bit more like um i think there's more similarities to the raiders of the lost ark uh so gordon i think you what did you give the temple of doom was that a four did you give it yeah i gave it a four yeah and yeah. andrew was the five weren't you yeah i just felt it was a very strong sequel and i i, I don't think it really repeated much of I, there are the elements but on the whole i don't think it was just a kind of rerun of raiders of the lost ark i think it had its own positive elements going for and that kind of thing i i, I even like a lot of the, the non-action scenes like all the interactions between the characters and i know that in terms of special effects i know a lot of the matte paintings haven't aged well and that kind of thing but a lot of the, the sets i think are quite impressive and it's quite atmospheric and that sort of thing yeah there's a strong color palette in that film i just think of the color red in some of the the scenes uh, in in the actual temple the cinematography was free was fantastic and of course you've got this the score to to always uh to add the the kind of atmosphere as you said um and, mm-hmm. sorry maybe just even little things like camera angles i think are quite strong yeah as well like the first couple of films certainly that kind of thing it's quite dynamic yeah it's definitely got its own identity like i hadn't seen it before so i first watched it with you guys and you can see that it is something very it is quite different it's the one that sticks out from out of the tri- this <clears throat> initial trilogy for me yeah if i was to give my thoughts on it those are the things that are good about it and there's things i'm not as keen on i suppose i'm that kind of 
uh, the mixed reaction thing is kind of where I'm where I sit with it like it's some of the dialogue and the writing especially for um oh, the female character I, I can't remember I've not done any prep for it so I can't remember her name yeah um yeah I, I remember finding it irritating at the time and maybe even some of the action scenes I think the the minecart chase got a bit silly and cartoonish but not in a it was kind of elongated it was a bit long like it was not yeah. as punchy so, as been. sorry to interrupt you steve do you mean do you think also it kind of lacked a wee bit of creativity and imagination some of the, the action scenes as well possibly um, yeah i mean it, there was something about it that wasn't gripping i remember we actually were talking a lot the way through the third act of the film because we're our attention wasn't quite there obviously you guys yeah. have seen it more so it's maybe not the uh it's not the, the ideal way to have watched it but that was something that I realised my attention wasn't completely gripped. So yeah, I would have given it overall a free on the basis that the other elements are still enjoyable. Obviously, you've got Ford in the lead. He's always good. And you've got, you know, it's a Spielberg-directed film. There's a lot of great stuff about it. And it's the craft behind it is still great. But there's elements where it really falls short for me. Uh, so I would have given that a free. Just, just to add, would you agree? I mean, I think the first third of that film's probably the best or strongest, and I think... It, it does kind of decline a wee bit after that, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I like their attempt. Obviously, Indiana Jones is essentially the American version of a James Bond kind of character. So they obviously even have a scene that is very much like their closest they could do to do a James Bond moment with Harrison Ford, which is a kind of interesting start scene. Yeah. Well, Spielberg, Spielberg is, um, he's come out and said that Indiana Jones is basically a failed attempt at him to make a Bond film. Yeah, uh, you can totally see that. Like it's yeah. Well, George Lucas said to Spielberg when he... Because Spielberg wanted to direct a James Bond film, I think, at some yeah. point, or there was something like that, and George Lucas went to him and said, you want to direct a James Bond film? Well, I've got a James Bond film for you. Yeah. Uh, that's how it all started. Yep. So, yeah, that was in that um, Light and Magic documentary, funnily enough. Ah, I see. Uh, just, uh, Fran, what's your thoughts on the uh, Temple of Doom? Um... I don't know. I mean, I, I, kind of a holistic view, I suppose. I don't. For some reason, I always felt like that was the third film. It's really strange because it's, it's a prequel, actually, isn't it? I mean, it's strange. It doesn't seem to. The way that it's in my mind, I always it seems to to be apart from the other two, almost like a kind of a side track, like like a kind of a segue off into something else. It doesn't like you were saying. It feels quite different. It's got a different tone. There's a different feeling to it. I feel like the the first and last of the trilogy. Well, obviously, you've got. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but film one and three of the quadrilogy are sort of more alike than Temple of Doom. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel yeah, like I've they kind of felt like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's okay. Um, I, I, you know, I'll never, I'll never be upset if somebody interrupts me to agree. <laughs> I'm always happy. Um, but yeah, it was um very much a case of I feel like they went back to the tried and tested formula with the third film after the second film maybe didn't go down so well that's my always been my feeling on it in terms of my rating for it <clears throat> it's not one i would really re-watch over and over again i bought if i was doing a stint of watching all all the films i would watch it but i wouldn't watch it on its own if that makes sense the way that i might watch um raiders or i would watch raiders the the order i would watch them in would probably be raiders first then um last crusade then temple of doom then crystal skull like I, if i had to choose like an like a tier list of the ones i would choose i feel like that's the general mm. consensus on the films probably obviously there's going to be yeah. some slight differences but i feel um, like the critical consensus on it is usually about that kind of order so i would give it probably a very high three 
So it would be like just below a four, if that makes sense. If you imagine it being like 3.9 or something like that, the only way I can imagine to say it because it's not quite there, if that makes sense. But it's, I'm not wholly disagreeing with anyone who gave it a four, if that makes sense. I can, it's just a few niggles that take it down a wee bit. Scott, what's your thoughts? It's, I suppose you could, you've got to applaud the kind of, they tried to do something completely different from the first film. You know, I think you've got to kind of appreciate the direction and the maybe even the risks they took. I think when I watched it as a wee boy, um, I probably enjoyed it a lot more. I think if now as I watch it as a grown man, there's a lot of stuff that's just tonally wrong. Um, and I think that comes through, as you said, Steve, it's in the writing. Um, the scenes when, I can't remember the, the actor's name, Billy Scott's actor's name in it. It's just the scene when the two of them are kind of like in each other's, they're in each other's bedrooms and the camera's kind of oh, going yeah. back and forth. And now, I, I think maybe years ago when I watched it, I kind of thought that was kind of cool and endearing. But now I'm just like, this is this is just, this doesn't feel right. The same with the, you know, the banquet scene. Again, when I was younger, I thought, oh, cool, you know, monkey brains. Now I'm watching it, I'm kind of like, this, mm, it's not it's not quite hitting right. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously there has been a lot of kind of criticism in terms of, I was call it direct racism, but it certainly didn't. Uh, it's you know, it, it didn't. It didn't depict certain you know areas of India in a in a good light, if that makes sense. And I think that's where the criticisms came from. And I suppose the telling factor of that is Steven Spielberg has has publicly come out and said he decided to make the Last Crusade as an apology for the Temple of Doom. Yeah, which is which is crazy from the direct from a director's standpoint. So. Um, well, obviously that doesn't play into my score. I still think it's a three out of five. Um, if I give, it's one of these ones where, I think if I give Raiders of the Lost Ark a four, there's no way this can get a, get a four because it, it's, as I say, I appreciate the direction, I appreciate the try to go somewhere else, um, but it, it probably just didn't fit. And I suppose at that point you're kind of like, you're kind of confused as to what Indiana Jones as a as a character or a franchise is. You know, is he the kind of you know you know, grave hunting, tomb raiding sort of, you know, character, or is he this character? It just seems, it seemed messy. And then I think The Last Crusade, as much as I like The Last Crusade, it was like, right, let's just go back to basics. Let's play it ultra safe. Let's get the Nazis back. And to be honest with you, the majority of The Last Crusade is literally plot for plot, almost scene for scene, similar to The Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's definitely comparables, definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's in, it's good. It's interesting, actually. See, when you look at these three films, although it's a, a technically a, what, a quadrilogy now, right? When you look at that trilogy at the start, you can kind of almost tell... So we all know J.J. Abrams is like a... He's like the prodigy or, or whatever of Steven Spielberg, right? But do you not think like the, the most recent Star Wars films follow that very similar sort of sort of structure or path? So the Force Awakens was very like safe. JJ Abrams, even when he done Star Trek, it was like right, you know, paper thin plot, keep it safe, play it safe, just get everyone back on board. But then obviously the Last Jedi hits. You could probably say that's kind of like the Temple of Doom. It was very different tonally. And then the Rise of Skywalker's like right, let's let's bring it back to what we started with. Do you know what I mean? Uh, well, they get a pass on the fact, or oh, the first one's is was groundbreaking because. It was a new film, it was a new character, so there's like there's nothing to be said and negative on that side of things. And yeah, the other two you can certainly lay like that comparison. And the Star Wars one, obviously the you know it's 
I mean, The Last Jedi was so different, but anyways, let's not go into that, but it's ridiculous. And then the third one is just pandering to... In, oh, no, no, in the I, worst way. <laughs> I would say they're so much more egregious than the, the work yeah. they've done with Indiana Jones in the, in the 80s. Yeah. Not necessarily not necessarily kind of harbour on the point of the fil- the Star Wars films in general. It's just maybe maybe you, you can clearly see that's where the inspirations of J.J. Abrams has came from, potentially, from like Spielberg's work in maybe the Indiana Jones films. Perhaps. Perhaps. And that's, 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 the Lucas connection, probably, as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right, so we're now on to The Last Crusade, as I said, released 1989, and as Scott mentioned, with elements uh, trying to differentiate from what Steven Spielberg felt was a bit of a uh, a miss in his catalogue and trying to kind of get back. And, and they did agree, uh, him and Lucas at the point, when they were writing these, to do a trilogy, so he really felt... And I think he actually turned down a few films to do this this one. Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it big? I think yeah. it was big, big and Rain Man. Yeah, Rain Man. So yeah. you know what was another huge Oscar film as well. So, but um, yeah. So we've got uh, as the Nazis, things like that. I wanted before we actually got into the film specifically, though. Let's talk about our general hit credentials with this film. How many times have you seen this film, Scott? Uh, do you know what? It's an interesting one. I think only until recently, probably was the first time that I've watched The Last Crusade all in the one go. I think previously it always seemed to be one of these films where I never owned it, um, but it was always on at like Christmas or during the festive period on like ITV2. And I just, the only recollection I've got of this film is like, like with adverts, does that make sense? Or you don't, you never like kind of watch it all the way through. So it's actually been, it's actually been really nice just like kind of sitting down, concentrating on it and kind of taking it in. Um, So for that, I'd probably say, I'd probably say less than, more than five, less than ten. Okay. Gordon? Um, a lot. <laughs> Quite a lot. I think probably the most of any of the Jones films. And it's funny, Scott, you say about the, a bit of repetition always from Raiders, because when I was at a younger age, I sometimes got the two confusing. Yeah. Like certain scenes with Nazis, like that tank chase towards the end of Last Crusade, I thought, did that not happen in mm-hmm. Raiders? There was a wee bit of that, so um, but yeah, that, I would say actually this is it's. I mean, then the points I made later on will be interesting considering this is the one I've. I think by far I've seen this more than any Indiana Jones film. Okay, Andrew, this one I think I've maybe seen it eight, eight nine, ten times or something. Whereas the other two I've not seen to the same extent. Like, I think it maybe this was the first one I saw actually in for quite a few years, and I, I don't think I saw. Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, till I was maybe about 11, 12, something like that, and then I saw The Temple of Doom, but this is the one I've seen the most out of the the three, definitely the one I'm more familiar with. Yeah. Although I have seen the other two, you know, several times. Actually, seeing it the other day, it's the first time in a few years I'd watched it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's certainly something around those kind of times, like eight, nine, ten Fair times, enough. something like that. Fair amount. And Fran? Sorry. Um, I had trouble locating the unmute button for some reason. Uh, um, it's not like we were just going round, you know, and you could gauge who you're you going to Are you still eating that BLT? How big is that BLT sandwich? No, I actually had finished it. I was just sitting back and I was <laughs> just listening and then I was like, oh shit, it's me. Um, just a, a scary image of you in your box for sitting back. Anyways, moving on. That's a, it's a great image. I know, <laughs> we won't go into it too much about how great it is but anyway um yeah the um I, i'm kind of similar to scott i suppose 
up until my sister, my youngest sister, before uh, Crystal Skull came out, she got like a DVD set of the the three films, and I sat and she watched them, and then I, I, I she mentioned that she had it. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll watch them again. So I watched all the films, and I watched it then, and yeah, you know, it was it's one of those where I think as well because. My uncle Robert, who's been on the cast before, he's he, very much into Star Wars, but also Indiana Jones as well. I think there's a lot of people from that generation that <clears throat> they sort of lump these two franchises together in their head, the two trilogies, Indiana Jones and Star Wars, as you know, because it's ILM, George Lucas, do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of similar sort of thing. So, I, you know, he would be, there would be an awareness of it from there as well, I suppose. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say but without kind of going over things I'll probably mention okay, cool. later, if that makes sense. But it was fun to watch it again, you yeah. know, um, but it, maybe it wasn't like I was remembering watching it with adverts on or whatever, but it wasn't like crystal clear in my mind what I was going to be seeing. And there was bits that surprised me again and made me laugh that I'll mention, obviously, later on. Yeah, okay. For me this is a second watch the first watch i had watched about three quarters of the film and kind of stopped i'll admit um for some reason it wasn't hitting me this was only about a year ago um and decided obviously well we decided this would be the film and i I actually enjoyed it more this this viewing so i'm glad we've actually um watched this again so yeah it was it was fun to to see and i can see what, what what was so appealing about this film back in 1989 Okay, let's get into this one, guys. Obviously, we begin with the prologue section, I think set in 1912. Uh, a young Indiana Jones is a Boy Scout, played by River Phoenix. Um, yeah, Gordon, you're kind of good at setting us up here. What's What was your thoughts on the whole prologue section of the film? Yeah, so essentially we're getting... It's almost like what you got with the pre-titles of a Bond film, because it's kind of like a mini-movie. So we've got a young Indiana Jones... Almost within the space of 10 minutes or something, it's showing you kind of how he became Indiana Jones and it's showing how he gains so many of the of his characteristics. And I think it's really well done. I mean, I think it's getting, especially seeing that in the cinema for the first time, it's action right away. It's it's like, and in River Phoenix, I think we've got a really capable young actor who should have gone on to do great things. And, yeah. But, um, like, without getting too bogged down in that, it just, it was, yeah, it's a classic sort of mini movie. You've got your villain and henchman. You've got, um, you know, some, like, sort of transport-like scenario, like involving, like, running through a circus train and all that stuff. Great music by John Williams. It's, um, and, yeah, it's just, because it, it really is like a mini movie because it's like, it has that thing he's looking for, which he gets, and you know, like which is the cross of Coronado, and then he ends up having to give up. And there's so much I love about that pre-title sequence. Not so you see, I, I call know. that pre-title sequence because yeah. I think it's part it's of the like, Bond so podcast. Like, I yeah. can't get Bond out of my head, but yeah, but it is Gordon talking. By the way, I know we sound alike, um, but yeah, I think it's really good. The pre-tales. One thing I would say, I did say about you see all the becoming Indiana Jones things. I think the way he gets given the hat is masterful by a guy who's like the mirror image Indiana Jones, like a bad Indiana. Um, I love there's an idea of it showing you how he becomes afraid of snakes. And it's also got like at, um, like him using a whip for the first time. And I don't, I don't know if like he cuts himself with the whip 
Is that meant to show how Indiana Jones is a scar, which is really That's Harrison Aaron. Ford's yeah, scar? Mm-hmm. From a car but crash. Having said, <laughs> I know, I might have even missed something else, but having said that, like, have they made it too packed? It's like he became everything to do with Indiana Jones within uh, the space of 10 minutes. It's kind yeah. of, I would say a little. It gets away with it because this is a kind of popcorn, silly comedy action film that you kind of should not try and take seriously. You kind of have to <laughs> be like, be like, right, just I'm along for this silly ride and that's fine. <laughs> Because you know, it's kind of comical though, because I mean, you know, imagine we had a moment like that in our lives. It's like all of the defining characteristics <laughs> happen to us within that space of time. It's like, you know, suddenly if you were a journalist or something, it's like suddenly you find a pen on a table and then, you know, a newspaper falls in front of you or whatever. It's like, oh, you're suddenly coming to this realization that's who I am. You know, that's who I am as a person. The only, bit, like, the only bit that I thought was missing in, the, in that scene that would make him Indiana Jones is that if he's going through like the giraffe pen in the train and there was like a woman and he violently imposes himself on that woman that would be the, that's the only thing that was missing to make up like you know the Indiana Jones character uh, from deleted scene actually um, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say I think there's a good build up I like the cinematography is it meant to be maybe Texas Arizona somewhere like that yeah I mean the setting's yeah. magnificent isn't it and I, I love the, the reveal that who turns out to be the young Jones' adversary, you know, just, I think the camera angle's great, seeing him from behind, you're meant to assume, uh, you know, is Jones just the way he's dressed and that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Personally, you know, we got to note that, Andrew, to people making movies today, that's how you subvert expectations in cinema. That's how you do it. You frame it in such a, you know, nice and quick. That, That was a perfect moment, actually. So here's a question. How many, how many of you, when you first watched this, how many of you thought, that's that's Harrison Ford. Like, yeah, that's I'll admit, I did. <laughs> I got you, didn't it? Yeah, got you. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was really good. I, I, I they think... cast someone that had like the same jawline. Even sounds, even sounds like Harrison Ford. Come on, like, kid. Yeah. Like, I, it's a bit yeah. when uh, River Phoenix gets off the train and it, it's like it, he either it's like God damn it, he says he, he shouts something and it's like it literally just sounds like Harrison Ford as well. I mean, I, I think River Phoenix he does similar intensity as Ford. I mean. I, uh, yeah. Maybe it's not the most difficult part to play, but I think you know he couldn't have done too much more depicting a young. I think well, the, Ford had chosen. He'd suggested River Phoenix. I think he'd seen him. Had he worked with him before, and maybe he'd played he worked, him in something he else. In a, he worked in a film called The Mosquito Coast, right? And it was Ford that got him in. But yep. River Phoenix had said that because, like, River Phoenix was actually doing like impressions of Harrison Ford on the 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 set of that film. Right. So it was perfect, and it, it totally shows in this first scene because he's fantastic. As I say, River Phoenix, he's amazing. Even his facial expressions, the way he delivers the line, yeah. Um, it's I, it's it's probably I wouldn't say it's maybe the best section of the film, but it definitely is. It definitely is the most enjoyable. As I say, obviously you're watching it as a kid, you can definitely relate. But even now, watching it as an adult, it's like I, I still find it. It's it's good. Um, despite the <laughs> horrendous uh, puppetry and the the snake. And the animals. I think as well, it probably yeah. depicts you know like the fashions in like the nineteen tens quite well in the era as well. I mean, I do I do think it's a bit ludicrous like the you know battling on top of a circus train, but I suppose okay. it's a kind of it's, it had an octopusy a kind of vibe, to yeah. it, which I kind of enjoyed. Like, did it does feel like a Roger Moore, a slightly more even more camped up Roger Moore Bond film, the whole film, but that section specifically. Here's One a question. Here's Steve, see for, see for the, the cast. Do you think we should start like a Bond pounder 
So any time yeah. Bond is referenced, we should put a pound. We okay. get a pound in. Well, there's a couple of. That would actually be. Yeah, that would literally put my all our money in that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we'll like, see the last five episodes. <laughs> I digress. But, you know, I was just going to say as well, though, Steve, like one of the most masterful touches in that, and, and by the way, this is really helped by probably the first John Williams, the is it the Raiders March, whatever the real Indiana Jones music is, has mm-hmm. scored at this point. But the way when the hat is put onto the young Indy, onto his head, and the, the, the way that's shot to then cut quickly to the like 1930s Indiana Jones mm-hmm. in a totally different sense. It's, just, it's hard to explain what I love about that. I just think that's really well done. Yeah. The only thing, the, the only thing for me in terms of tone, right, so I don't know what you guys think about this. It's it's maybe just up for up for debate. So a young Indiana Jones has literally saw this guy stealing, right? And that then becomes his inspiration to steal because indiana jones i mean that's the thing with the character of indiana jones is is he actually doing good is he because it doesn't things they, belong in museums is he doing the same thing like exactly. that's the whole thing like it, it's so a it's kind character of, right, so it's, like, it's kind of a great area but the film doesn't quite have the awareness to it's as if he's no he's doing a good thing it does belong in a museum but steal it from the models culture. yeah but, uh, but he's, a, he's a fucking murderer uh well yeah i know he, he kills like 39 people in this film Oh, 39, okay, right. Maybe, maybe I might get, is that the total kill count? No, I think I think Indiana Jones' kill count's like 39 folk. So it's like, it's a, it's a really nice endearing kind of way to be like, right, let's see how he became Indiana Jones, but it's like... I think mor- morally he's meant to be a good man and have good values, but I suppose he is mm-hmm. fundamentally kind of taking things that don't belong to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Uh, it's that, it's that museum kind of... Museum. Yeah, it's the 80s thing, isn't it? Um... I don't think you would get a film like that now. I would try and... Then again, I suppose you could say that, you know, you'd rather have the artifact in the hands of the West than the Nazis. So, you know, in that case, the Nazis were destroying things or trying to use them for warped purposes. But, like, say he was just a freelancer operating in normal times or whatever, just killing all the other people that were trying to get the artifact. Because the thing is, there'd be a lot of people trying to... You know, artifacts belong in the countries that they came from. So, you know, and they should be in museums in their own country or protected or whatever. But I think, you know, Indiana Jones is... He's protected by the fact he was operating during wartime against the worst people in the world. So, you know... Yeah, they they justify it quite well in this film. And you're not overly thinking about it. It's only when you take a step back when you (laughs) kind of think about the aspects of the character. And and as Scott mentioned, his his inspirations as a thief... um, Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost like your Robin Hood type guy. Yeah. So, like, save, saving things for, you know, for, you know, the right reason, but also, you know, yeah, like, he's he's saving them from a bad regime or getting them somewhere the public can see them or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, murder's still murder, you know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, don't, I, think, I, think, when it, I, know I mean, I think when it comes to, I always think to myself, you know, certainly with the Nazis, at least, I think it's always going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm never killing be killed. Well, yeah, it's, it's not even with the Nazis. It's with the guy um, who, if I if I ever join a brotherhood, I want to join the this na- the brotherhood with this name. He's from was it the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword? Who are like kind of the protectors of the Holy Grail? What a name! Like what a name yeah, for that's a your that's your next band name. Oh my God, what a name! Uh, but he, I mean, he's 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 literally 
I mean, he's literally going to put that guy in a, a boat propeller. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, those, I'm not saying... I mean, I just think that the justified kills are the ones where he's killing Nazi soldiers That's... or Nazi whatever. The other ones... You know there is a, there is a grey area with with Indiana Jones where you where but that's the thing about a hero like Indiana Jones that makes him a wee bit more realistic in a weird way despite the comic book tone of the films is that most people that are out there doing things it's not black and white is it do you know what I mean so there is a there is that sense you know is he a good guy is he a bad guy is he a morally ambiguous guy but I don't think the like film him. ever presents that idea the film no. presents him as the white hero. Up for debate, that's all I'm saying. But, well, I, I do think the audience, you know, certainly as time's gone on, I've thought that as well. I mean, I've thought mm, some of these seem quite justified. <laughs> you know, some of them seem to be whatever. There's a kind of a theme going on that the villains sort of kill themselves, don't they, in the end? Mm. Like, they kind of destroy themselves through their own arrogance or hubris or whatever. Yeah, even, even man in that... Um scene just after the first scene of proper present day indie on the boat it's like he's not even killed half these people they kind of do it to themselves but let you know when the boat get away in the storm he didn't actually really kill anyone there guess that's another way one <laughs> spielberg and the writers have cleverly tried to avoid him becoming this <laughs> essentially mass mass murderer, murderer. Yeah. i know that's who's a, who's a professor by day yeah there's a freak storm so yeah. he you know he so his work done for him so here's another question right <laughs> how did indiana jones when he jumps into that water right because a boat appears as if they are in the middle of nowhere and he is on like a kind of like it's like a like a wooden box or something like that he's just floating away how, how does he get back yeah, yeah in the like middle the, of the Atlantic, yeah, it doesn't seem um, plausible. Plot armor, plot or, else, armor really. or, else, or else it's just the way that the, the camera's positioned, but actually the boat is... Could you built. imagine if that was where the film ended? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I didn't even think it, he was... It goes, I didn't... It, goes, it goes to the school and Marcus and Marcus addresses the class as saying, uh, your class isn't on today, guys. Uh, Dr. Jones was, was drowned at sea, was lost at sea. Yeah. And then it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's where there is a bit like what the first main <laughs> weakness of the film. It's not, it's not massive, but it's like um, it, it was all a bit all too easy for Jones to escape from that boat. Like it happens to be a yeah. really bad storm, and they've they've not the people like captain of the boat hasn't made any effort to get away from the storm, and it just so happens like the waves knock over a big canister causes an explosion. I just feel like he jumps on that crane, and then he just gets away like a little bit too easy, and there happens to be a little rubber ring that happens to float right up next to him. I mean, it's, it's, it's like... So it's something like Tom and Jerry or something? Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, but there's, there's, there's <laughs> I can see what you're saying. It's cartoonish, because I think me and Scott talked about this on the first podcast that I don't know if it reminds is the Deadpool 2 there's a character in that her superpower is luck and <laughs> Indiana Jones kind of reminds me of that mm. sort of whole section because it's fun to watch these films just with the head canon that he actually is a sort of like a superhero and he's, he's his luck is his thing and he just things just always work, will work out for him because he's the hero of this scenario like it's just and it's kind of funny to watch it that way where things will just pop out and at the right yeah. time at the right moment all that mm. kind of stuff and it, James Bond here we go put the money in for the wee, wee glass there <laughs> I'll get this out Bond films were, were were big on that as well they did that a lot mm. but this film and, and the Indiana Jones character definitely 
gets. I don't think. I don't think it's as. I don't think it's as apparent in the Bond films. I think there's more of a subtlety there because you you get the idea like Gordon used to always talk about um, Bond relying on his wits and things like that. Like I think you kind of see that more in the Bond films that you get that from the yeah, character. So, that, whereas, so he's he's able to get out of situations maybe by his the, the character, whereas Indiana it's, Jones it's, is yeah, just training. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, because Indiana Jones hasn't been trained as an agent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. um, how those the bonding trope as well of the main villains saying, throw him over the side. It's not like just shoot him, it's just yeah. throw him off the side of the boat. And if he did throw him off the side of the boat, he still, still survived. So, of course, he gives them that little grain of a chance to survive. And of yeah. course, yeah, yeah, uh, survive he does. He's it's a- good foreshadowing. Oh, sorry, Steve, I was just going to say, no, it's good single. foreshadowing. I just because I just remembered there, it showed you that villain when he was younger. And then it shows him the present day, which I think was pretty cool. Yeah. No, a nice touch, certainly. Uh, we obviously then get Jones as the professor version of the character, again, similar to what it did in the Raiders uh, film, which, if I'm right, I don't think they did that in Temple of Doom. I don't think you ever do see a scene with him teaching. There's an almost kind of Clark Kent type thing going on there. Yeah. With like, you know, he's this is him... You know, you wouldn't look at him and think this is an action hero. Well, that's the mean? point. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but when you get to the when you get to the school and when he's finished the class, you just not all notice that all the young girls are like pure swooning over him. Oh, that's, like, yeah. Like, and, and the, the, the ratio of boys to girls in that class is is a bit strange as well. Yeah, like, and you know, it's so. It's also the way, see when he goes into the office and there's there's all these arms swarming at the door and banging, yeah. it's like Beatlemania or something. It's like, yeah. it's just the <laughs> professor and they're all trying to get into his room. Yeah. I, have, I have to say, though, I like in the films the kind of glimpse into Jones's private life or his working life. I do think that's a nice touch. And, the you know, you can't just have him always yeah. being an archaeologi- archaeologist. And but I, f- I, find it, I find even that... Searching all the time. Yeah, he, he obviously... Finds solace in his wee kind of cupboard, uh, you know, and then he's like, right, fuck this, I'm going to go out for a sandwich or something like that. Climbs out the window and then gets picked up by Donovan's men. Like, so this is where the luck thing kicks in again. Like, it's like instantly he's probably thinking, can I not? I just, I just want to go for a walk. Yeah, or get a coffee and an order, you know, something like that. And then, and then that's it. And it's just, but I, I kind of, I suppose the way they kind of pace another film. I, I quite like that actually because obviously yeah. when Donovan picks him up and you get that scene, Donovan basically just sets the rules for the whole film, um, and then that's it. You know, you don't have, there, there's no more there's no real further exposition. Maybe a wee bit when Connery comes in and all that kind of stuff. But um, no, I, I like I like the pacing of the first. But as I say, when he's standing there and you've got it's, it's mainly just the way that the kind of girls are acting. They're just like kind of staring right at his head and like oh, it's kind exaggerated. Of like, yeah, it's just it's a bit. I don't know. I don't know what they were. I don't know what they were trying to pull off there. Whether they're, they're uh, yeah. in awe of them or uh, they find, I, I find think, them attractive. I think that's what, what it is. I kind of always have. Thought I, don't about. Get, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's he's fucking extremely good looking in, in this film. Harrison Ford is on top of his game, but showing that these students again the tonal parts. It's kind of like hmm. I just had uh, the quick visual of if someone's to recut this film and it was panning across the the, the, the girls and then halfway along it, you see yourself you. Scott just you swooning at him, staring oh, with your big beard, just kind of wide eyed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like cut. Can you can you tone down the breathing? We can't. Scott, Scott, you're currently at a ten. I need you at a four right now, mate. <laughs> yeah. right? You're not it. the star of the film, Scott. Okay, you're an extra we've hired. 
right uh yeah you're right the pacing that's i mentioned this in jurassic park i do love a film that is snappy and it gets you to and, and even robocop the through line of these films is there has been a snappiness to just getting you into the scenes and moving the plot along and this film does that as well it doesn't feel like a lot of wasted space and time and let's talk about donovan then julian glover what's our thoughts on him scott i think or got actually gordon or andrew sorry andrew, no, was andrew? I was just going to say, I don't think, you know, he's an extremely impressive villain, but I do like the kind of character he's playing. He's a bit of a kind of arrogant businessman. He's greedy. He'll stop at nothing to get what he wants. And I think you can even see that in his initial interactions with Ford. You know, I I, I quite like just the situation of, you know, him taking Ford, being into his audience and that kind of thing. I I think it's a, a good touch. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? As a villain, yeah. And you can tell, I think you can tell initially that. Oh, he tells straight this, away he's the bad guy. Oh, guy, this guy's going to be bad news. It felt like the Kill Bill red alert thing. Aye. And he says, don't trust anyone. It's like. <laughs> like oh, wait. At times he maybe overacts a bit. Is he a, you know, is a wee bit kind of exaggerated by him? Maybe not, could, I think they could have done it. Hard. I, I mean, it's one of these ones where obviously there's, there's, there is a couple of twists in the film. Um, that they, they try and kind of do that as he's the twist but i mean you got somebody that's sending your henchmen to go and pick someone up from the school you're kind of going like right well yeah something doesn't feel right i think if they'd done it see if they'd done it in a way where it was like um you know marcus goes oh there's this there's this businessman he, he wants to meet he's raising it he's throwing a fundraiser thing for for big sites or just something stupid like that yeah, yeah that's Gold. another angle they could have took Aye, and if, that, he seemed, that, yeah. if even he seemed reluctant in the scene like oh what do you want jones like I, I, i've got Aye, too much other Aye. things going on as if he's not going to be a big deal or something like that like that would have been it, was, it was literally like i've seen two films and all i need to know is this is your Aye. villain right here uh, but i suppose in terms of that you, you, you know straight away he's going to be the bad guy but um as i say he, he gives you the he sets up the rules he, you know jones initially is a wee bit like uh holy grail and all that hocus pocus not really into it but then donovan's like well we've got part of the tablet they've also got like a is it a scroll they've got or the the templars sort of notes or whatever in this book and then it kind of starts to pique jones's interest when they talk about the holy grail but obviously he's he's fully bought in when he confirms that it's his dad that's the one that's missing do you not think the red flag is also the fact that the last thing he tells them is oh by the way your dad's missing like that's the sort of thing you lead with like talk about burying the lead like what Yeah, you can see cinematically why he did. It's just like, aye, Steve, why not tell him that in the first place? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I tried to justify it to Andy, and this is maybe where I'm making an excuse for like lazy writing or whatever. But it's, I, I said, oh, it's because he wants to make sure that he's interested in the Grail first, because if not, like he'll just go to rescue his dad, and that'll be it. But like, like I said, I'm probably just making excuses for it. I mean, it's, it's it's similar to the complaint. Here we go, clink and the Bond thing. When you remember, you had that issue with the Bond film, where essentially there was a character that led Bond very suspiciously out to the ocean for the secret meeting, and it turned out it was just to meet M and stuff. And that was it, the submarine or whatever. Yeah, it pretended it, that was Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, it pretended it was a police Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, so like, yeah. but that whole done. It was done just for cinematic purposes for us to have suspense even though plot-wise it made zero sense. It kind of was a bit of that, a wee bit of that, where it was done for purely cinematic purposes. Is 
big reveal end scene your dad's missing like here's something that i picked up i actually thought the way because marcus doesn't come across in the early scenes as his like kind of bumbling sort of you know nice guy the way he kind of says some lines sounds quite sinister i thought they're kind of like well are they trying to make are they trying to allude to the fact that maybe marcus is going to be the one that stabs him in the back I never got that, but maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah I don't recently. recall that, but you, you could be right. Uh, did you mean, for example... Well, there was sorry. one minute when, when I think they go back to the Jones's house. It's obviously yeah. a wreck. They find the, the, the thingy, and then Jones turns around to Marcus and says, eh, book, a ticket for, eh, to, book a ticket for Venice. And it's just the way Marcus says, um, well, need to book two. <laughs> he kind of says it like that and I'm kind yeah. of like ah, right, okay obviously it turns out that he's not um, but I, I kind of thought maybe they're, are they trying to do that deliberately to kind of throw you off Donovan's scent mm. um, I can again just a, just a very very fleeting moment where I thought alright oh, okay yeah, misdirection maybe mm. yeah I never I don't think I got that from it but you could be right that's interesting uh, okay so we'll, we'll move on then we'll try and get through some of the other uh, main characters Alison Doody's character then what's your thoughts on her Gordon I thought she was very good yeah I mean I think that was her first femme fatale type in the the Jones films and yeah I thought she was really good a young actress at the time um, German accent was fine I think Alison Doody's Irish and yeah, I, I, I like the idea. I think she's it's very believable that she would, um, you know, kind of lure Jones into a false sense of security where he takes his eye off the ball and doesn't realise she's a Nazi. And, yeah, I think she's really good. And you, I got to say, like, for anyone who was critical of Kate Capshaw on the last one, it's probably, it probably I'd imagine that's a relief to have a character more like her. Love See, I'm kind of the I'm kind of the opposite. I don't think there was anything wrong with her performance. I, I, I've got to disagree. I I, I think the Who are we talking about for, here? Are you talking about Alison Doody first year? Alison so, Doody, yes, yeah. I think the writing for, for for her for her character was just terrible. Like she, you know, she obviously is gorgeous to look at, and that's kind of all. That's kind of all I feel as if she's there for. She's kind of there for that eye candy, but it's not. She's not the. the she's not the typical damsel in distress for Jones. Does that make sense? I like mean, they, they give her a slight. Extra she's got. She's got it. Part slight, of character. It's poor. It is it's poor. not. I think it's inconsistent. I think there's moments yeah. where she's okay. I think if we're first comparing to Kate Capshaw's character, I think it's it's an improvement. Giving her just extra depth to be a villain who's actually been playing Jones just alone is more interesting than what Capshaw's character was in the second film. I know, but it's just the way that it's just the way that as soon as Jones comes off, I mean, we all know Jones is horny, right? So as soon ah, as yeah. he as soon as he steps off that boat, that scene is just so awkward. Like it's like I know, he's it's just sleazy as hell. He's, he's just like oh, he's almost as if he's like hunching over her and like kind of trying to get the, the, the flower on and I think he says, Do you permit Early me? Written. Yeah, yeah, she she says something like, I, don't, I, I don't usually, and then he says, well, I don't usually either, meaning that he doesn't he doesn't accept permission or something. I just said, oh, this is really awkward. And then thankfully, Marcus is actually the one that says, right, you two enough, like let's move on. Um, so yeah. she's she's obviously she's obviously she's obviously there. But then when they when they when they break the news that the 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 two Joneses have slept with her, it's like. Can I just paint this picture? Is that this person's there to just shag whoever's, I don't know, there? 
it's again, it's again, so it's again uh, writing. It's not, nothing, nothing at all to do. With I mean, that was that was ludicrous and unnecessary. Yeah. You know, the it was that, done for humour because it was, I think, Sean Connery's ad lib. He'd sort of, or or suggested in the writing process to to sort of mm. have that extra line for comedic purposes in there. And at the time, I think it went down well that line, but to suggest that well i think they were going to have that that was part of the story but he added that line in, in the scene earlier yeah. on to say she's she hums in her sleep to sort of suggest oh yeah i i went we had a thing together as well but um yeah ships ships pass in the night i mean you can tell this is a series i think anyway that are written by men and it's for in a time when these films were kind of thought as male audience so well you wouldn't be I surprised. Can't be as, and you're, uh, you're going to bring up the the test. You'll be surprised that the film absolutely dramatically fails the Bechdel test. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's um, reminder so of the audience is, for people who don't know what that is in case they've not listened to a previous cast. So it's I, think, I think as well, it's meant to her character is meant to give the film a bit of glamour as well. Whether you know that's needed or not, it's probably open for debate. But I think that's just meant to be the kind of world that Jones is depicted in. You know. I can see yeah, that. Yeah. I'm dealing with... Yeah. I think the, the only problem is, is what Scott's about to allude to, I imagine, with this test, is she's the only female character in the film, pretty much. Well, the the, the strange thing is with the test, right? So the test is a, how to how it, it tests women's uh, representation in fiction, right? Now, there's three tests. So the first test, there has to be two named female characters, right? Now... She is Dr. Elsa Schneider, I believe, right? But there is actually another, one other female character in it, and it's Donovan's wife. And I actually see in the credits, she's called Mrs. Donovan. So you could argue that technically there is two, but she doesn't even have a first name. And there's a female Nazi as well. Yeah, I was going to don't, don't think she is a name woman told yeah, oh, yeah. 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 who's pretty much Frau Forbissena yeah. or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So, but, but I don't even think, I think she's just like guard. Aye. You know what I mean? And but, obviously yeah. there's, no, there's no conversation. So they yeah. don't have, there, there technically is, for, for me it fails that one because it's like, the, 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 she has got Mrs. Donovan, but she's not, she's not fully named. Yeah. And obviously there's no conversation between two women. So yeah. aye dramatically feels yes uh it is noticeable um but then again well it's not an excuse but those these kind of films were made for an audience that there's an expectation and, and that's what they they gave but they don't age very well yeah, and, no, and that's how i think that's why sometimes i look at that's why some of the writing is poor but i think it's just that like i'm not i'm not against if jones listen you know, we're all guys, we're all, we all got a bit of the horn sometimes, you know what I mean? I think it's just the way that they portray the way Jones goes about it. He's so aggressive and forward. Like, even in the kiss scene where they have, like, he just... Well, then, then again, that... I mean, this is the 1940s, so it was a bit, you know... I mean, the 1940s wasn't that great, really, for that, was it? Maybe. Mm. I mean, I suspect you're right, Fran, definitely. I don't know if that was their intention, that that was why, yeah. I think... It was just they were because it certainly wouldn't have been okay in the eight nineteen eighty nine. We're talking about. I mean, you know, I reckon. Oh, Golden Eye came of... out five six years later, and that has a yeah. scene similar to it, which is. I not... suppose actually that's true. I mean, maybe 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 nineteen eighty nine nineteen ninety feels more recent to me than it really is. But I did when I've watched it. I did think to myself, 
Mm, like you, you used to see that and like, see the old black and white films like when you'd have like a romantic scene the man would grab the woman by the arm and hold her up close to him and just kiss her but it always looked really forceful and I kind of got the sense from this like, I thought oh that must be what they're trying to do like they're trying to kind of make it like that I have to say though like you don't you don't want your as lecherous as it was and everything you don't want your um, leading guy to be infallible. I mean, it, it exposed a weakness of Indiana Jones, like someone like Bond, where he was um, he took his eye off the ball because he got distracted by women. And, you know, that was his downfall for a, a period of the film, so I, I would give it that. I think it's more just what I think the filmmakers think they are portraying and how actually yeah. I, I'm actually perceiving it. So I think they're portraying someone who's hot with the ladies and getting there he swoons them and he's so charismatic of course this is a, a ford who was 45 when this film came <laughs> out and she was 21 which is uh, another trope in the, the kind of filmmaking time where man is way older than the, the young woman he's pursuing but that's just another element to, to it but yeah it's just the way they perceive it i don't think it comes off as well now what's interesting is that harrison ford you got to admit, though, Harrison Ford, like, say you took Roger Moore and Harrison Ford and put them beside each other, Harrison Ford's a more youthful guy for longer, isn't he? Like, Harrison Ford, like, you, you could, Harrison Ford could pass his, like, in his 30s when he's in his 40s. Because well, he takes, you know, yeah. he takes care of him. He always took care of himself. Well, that's how they could have him being Sean Connery's son in this film. There's only a exactly. difference. It's he just maybe looks kind of... Because Connery is at the extreme. Yeah, like Connery's on the other end of it where he has, he looked way older when he didn't wear a wig because he was bald, more or less. I think that aged him. Uh, so he's always looked older than he really is, maybe. And and Ford has looked younger, so they were able to, to pull it off. Um... But yeah, it's it, nuts. I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you who does. I'll tell you who does look a lot older than he really is. One of the main Nazi or Gestapo guys, Michael Byrne, is the name of the actor. Now, me and Andy were talking about this yesterday. So he's, I, I'm not sure if he has a name in the film, but is he the one that died on the tank? Yeah, but the tank. Yeah, he did. Yeah. It... Um, I mean, yeah. he's, he's been in quite a few. I think he's, he's been in a lot of TV. You know, he's a British I, actor, I know but... him from um, Sharp. Mark, no, the yeah, two, yeah. Sharp. He's in, been in that a few times. Yeah, he was in, he was in Tomorrow Never Dies. He was in a lot of TV as well. He was in The Sum of All Fears. But, but that's an interesting thing because, I mean, he's still, he's, I think, only 73 at the moment. So this was 1989. He would have been, I think, his 40s, which I, I couldn't believe. Like, when I, I saw that he's still acting, he, he doesn't really look much like he. I couldn't believe that he was. Well, I'm pretty sure I know, he was in his 40s at that time. Some people look old early and then stay the same for like 30 years. It's really weird. I mean, look at Patrick Stewart. He he got to the way he looked in the 80s and then he stayed. He's only just recently started to look really old. He stayed the way he looked for nearly 40 years. It's bizarre. I think there's something. Yeah, there's some, some people. people. Yeah. I think in the 90s he just didn't age. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, and when I say 40s, I think early 40s. It's, uh, so he might have been younger than Harrison Ford? Do you know he might have been, actually, Fran? We'll, we'll make that our fact check, I think, for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> right, so another few support. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, Steve, back to, obviously, Alison did it. I think, unfortunately for me, that kind of tainted her character, but it, but it, it wasn't necessarily her performance. It was just, I think it was just the writing of that uh, sort of thing. But I suppose it, you get the twist from her again. I kind of, I kind of always knew that she was going to do it. If that makes sense, I think there was. It, I never ever, th- I never ever got the shock when she. When you, uh, are you talking about when she suggests 
Donovan take. She kind of sells them out. Aye, yeah, when she, yeah. comes, she she turns and stuff like that. It's kind of like, hmm, kind of kind of seen that coming as well. Um, and then I suppose at the end she, I don't know, she's obviously a Nazi sympathizer if you would, if for word of what a better word, but she kind of, she kind of also, uh, she essentially sentences Donovan to, to his death by because she picks the wrong cup, doesn't she? Yeah, and so you know that's. Was, that's all about that's all about aging as well, isn't it? Do you know what's funny actually is that um even the the Holy Grail guy who was seven hundred and fifty years old looked about the same age as Sean Connery. So isn't that amazing? I thought Sean Connery looked amazing in this film. Oh yeah, he looked it's, good. It's yeah. interesting though, because they went for they kinda went for the slightly bumbling old man angle and this to six years later in The Rock. He was a bit more suave, useful. He did he was quite physical in that film, and that's six years later. It's, it's I mean, he looks older. He looked in this film to me a lot older than fifty-five or fifty-six. Winners go home. Really? And fuck the prom queen. And this Yeah, I guess he did. I suppose he looked older than his actual. But I suppose that's partly his costume design, things yeah. like that. Like you know, yeah. the, you know, and and he was acting goofy and a bit kind of oh son what are we doing you know oh my goodness are we, this is intolerable you know yeah. all the time like that kind of thing but, so yeah. like i think i think it goes to show how much of your perceived age is down to how you act how you dress how you present yourself you know um something to t- something to take away actually from the film to be honest because if you look at someone like sean connery who like um uh was it gordon you were saying about the the rock yeah, it just goes, and, goes, goes, goes to show, doesn't it, that whatever age you are, you can dial it back depending on how you present yourself or how you act. Well, I think yeah. there's still, I think there still goes back to the point of, regardless of how he looks, it's still, it's still a forty-five year old man, a twenty-one year old. Oh, if we're talking about Ford and Alice Diddy's character. Well, aye. well, I, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I get, I, I get it. Like, I get the whole. There's a trope, right? But at the end of the day, like. You know, see as far as I'm concerned, see as long as it's not a 45 year old man and a child, I'm a, I don't care. Like everybody's. Adult. I mean, I, I mean, you know what I mean, I, I, I don't think your standards are commendable. Like, <laughs> I know, but the thing, the thing is, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got folk like in their seven, in their seventies, marrying folk in their thirties, and folk in their twenties, marrying folk in their fifties, and folk in their thirties with folk in their forties, whatever. And it goes all different kinds of ways. I mean, one of the most famous lesbian relationships out there in Hollywood right now is. Um, uh, the one of the women is in her seventies and one of the women is in her forties. So it's just one of those things in life. Like people, age gap relationships do occur. Of course, now, it's a trope. It's a trope. Tro- that's the point we're making. Because every, I'm, I'm not sure we need. I'm not sure we need the kind of context here, Fran. Of, I know. We, as long as it's not a forty-five year old to a child. I just, I just, I just don't really. I guess what I'm saying is, I just don't really notice it. I don't. I don't. I don't look at it and go, oh, well. I suppose. Um, I'm more likely to have noticed it with Roger Moore and what was the film where he was with the really young girl was one of his later ones oh it's probably the last one when he was sleeping with everyone a few to a kill yeah I noticed it in that but that's because Roger Moore came across as like he seemed much much older and she seemed really quite young do you know what I mean mm. whereas in, in this film I feel like Harrison Ford and in fact Harrison Ford's wife how much younger than you know so Harrison Ford is one of those lucky guys I think that like it didn't come onto my radar as oh this is a bit yeah. whatever. I think what the the argument that's kind of that could be made by 
well, so, so so essentially, this film normalizes the idea that it, the 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 older man and the younger woman, so that older that older women wouldn't have been considered for that role because they were probably looking but it, around but that it, age. But it is normal, like I mean, it, in it, society, it, like it, it tends to be the case that well, the, the argument can be made: is it because of things like? media and the way that, that things are portrayed. I would I would say it's probably a 50-50. I think I think it certainly um it certainly influences the audience for sure, but I think I think it goes both ways. I think it's a reciprocal relationship where um real life informs fiction and then fiction reinforces society so it kind of it kind of goes back around it's like a it's like the chicken and the egg where do you find the the, the start of it right. you know okay we'll but, move on because we were yeah. talking a bit about sean connery so i feel now is the time we should get into talking about henry uh the senior uh so what's our thoughts sean connery obviously um is i i it was for me i'll just start I, for me it was fun to see him in a kind of comedic light role considering we've come off of the bond project and it's a completely different thing from that type of character well, actually can we can we segue slightly because to go back to scott's point actually there is the line that henry says isn't there um am i am i getting this all mixed up with the, the where they both what was it they both slept with the Oh, church passion uh-huh. night. Right now, that would have been more that that was something I did notice. I was like, oh, we talked about oh, that, that earlier on, didn't we? So that, uh huh, yeah. So that that you know that definitely was something I noticed there. Um, but because I think also because it's what you were saying, Steve, like almost the kind of comedic goofy side to this character, it didn't fit with the rest of it. It didn't. You know what I mean? Like his entire portrayal through, it. apart well, from the bit where he's goofy, he's actually pulling off slick things, but he's doing it in a yeah. sort of like he's sitting on a chair I mean, and it happens to release something, and it's like well, as if he, he meant it and things like that. Here's the, here's the thing for me, right? Is I I, I think in, in terms of how I perceived it, this is a fantastic actor who does the best he can do with the material he's given. Like yeah. I don't necessarily think it's written well for Sean Connery. But because of the the actor he is and he's so well at it, I think he pulls it off. Yeah. But in terms of his lines and in terms of what he's got, what his purpose is, it's like it, it, when you when you kind of strip it all back, it's like it's, it's not great. But he he pulls it off because it's him. He I gives it something definitely. Yeah. He definitely. Well, guys, but I'll, let, I'll let Andrew. The... Sorry, Andrew. I'll let you in for that. Oh yeah, hey, guys. I was just going to say, I really I didn't enjoy Connery's performance tremendously in this. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think it's a really strong performance. I, I agree with Scott in the sense where he's saying he maybe couldn't have done any better with the material he's given. But I just, I mean, Connery, he does have good presence and you can kind of see him as Jones's father. But I just don't, I don't find him that amusing, you know, in a lot of their kind of interactions. But what I would say is I like, I think there's a good chemistry and connection between father and son. And I think it's tragic that the and sad in a way that they didn't connect and it's only now when they do connect but it's kind of too late or you, at that point you might think it's too late yeah you know what I, sorry i just need to i know i'll forget this if i don't say it um that i actually think the strongest bit of acting from connery in the film was when the tank went over the cliff and he thought that indiana had died <laughs> so yeah. I, I, and, and it gave connery that bit of material to chew on to kind of play with there and and to show that oh my god i haven't told my son what I needed to tell or whatever, and I think that was the, the little bits like that that you saw with with that, and obviously later on when he was mortally wounded and then the reversed, 
Indiana Jones had to then save him. Those were the the strongest bits of his performance. I felt. I think that actually got. Um, I was going to say just a quick bit of trivia. They actually got a ghostwriter in to specifically write the sort of the arc between the two Joneses. Um, and the guy, I think his name was Todd. Something he, he was never credited in the actual film, but he actually he they would actually specifically come in to write their story up. I think for me, the, listen, the whole thing that Spielberg is obviously quite good. I think he'd done it in other films as well, where it's like the father son bond. Yeah, it's a the theme that, in his films, especially yeah, ET and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the thing with this one, which was quite refreshing, although I still don't think that they done Alison Doody's character justice. At least in this one, Jones isn't, but he's not. There's a character there. Yeah, it is, but it isn't the damsel in distress that Jones is trying to save throughout the whole film. Yeah, basically, Connery Connery replaces that. That it's the father and son dynamic as opposed to the the damsel in distress dynamic. Um, like looking into the rewrites and rewrites for this film, there was a mess trying to get what what ideas they had for it. Lucas had all these crazy ideas. Some of them well, you should look up the Monkey King was, or something like that, and all these kind of crazy ideas. And it Spielberg was, was the one that said, "I want to have a bit of character. I want to focus on a father son yeah. relationship." And I think he had the right idea, and that's how he started going down that path. I'll let you continue that. I'm going to read. I'm going to read a very quick passage on the first draft that Chris <laughs> yeah, Columbus made of this. Yeah, right? I read this. Right, I'll, I'll try and be quick. Right, so it begins in 1937 with Indiana battling the murderous ghost of Baron Seamus Seagrove the Third in Scotland. Indiana travels to Mozambique to aid Doctor Claire Clark, a Catherine Hepburn type, according to Lucas, who has found a 200-year-old pygmy. The pygmy is kidnapped by the Nazis. as the old Nazis back in it again during a boat chase, and Indiana, Claire, and Scraggy Bria, an old friend of Indiana, travel up the Zambezi River to rescue him. Indiana is killed in the climactic battle, but is resurrected by the Monkey King. Other characters include a cannibalistic African tribe, Nazi Sergeant Gutterberg, who has a mechanical arm, Betsy, a stowaway student who is suicidally in love with Indiana, and a pirate leader named Kezur, described as a Toshiro Mifun type, who dies eating a peach because it's not because he is not pure of heart. Yeah, yeah. What I mean, the fuck I is mean, that? It, we take his old podcast to some dissection of that, <laughs> so we'll just have to you know, briefly move on. But that is, I mean, that is a film. Yeah. That is a film. I need to see. And I think the, the, the reason why Spielberg was like, no, absolutely not. I think it was because of the whole haunted mansion thing. And he had obviously done Poltergeist. Yeah. So he was kind of like, well, I'm not going to recreate Poltergeist as Indiana Jones. Do you know what I mean? They'd so, even done some shooting or some uh, photography in Africa to see. And I think one of the scripts, the scripts were still... Uh, depicting mm-hmm. the civilizations in Africa, and I think they realised this might be culturally incentive in, at this point, so they were they moved yeah. away from that whole idea as well. So there was a lot of changes to this film to to get where we, it was like six or seven rewrites, maybe more, uh, to get to and where. We, and even you're there. talking about there could have been like what a cannibalistic tribe involved. I think that's that's even going a bit far for in, Indiana Jones. You know the kind of well, I think I think they learned I think they learned a lesson from Temple of Doom. Yeah. yeah, that was as far as it yeah. came. They did the right the thing. Focus. They focused on the right thing. They brought in a, a kind of more relatable element. They, they mm. realised the grail isn't the focus of the story. It's just no, something it's... to get these characters and the focus is the father-son relationship and guess what it works for the film i suppose it does did you ever did you ever get the sort of because the the way it comes across is it's meant to be connery has been an an almost like kind of overly strict 
almost absent father. That's what I got from it, right? And Jones is uh, Indiana or Ford is always kind of trying to seek approval from his dad. Nothing Jones can do is good enough. You even see it when he fucking murders people to save his life. Connery is still like just like you know playing with his fingernails and going, "What am I meant to be impressed?" Type thing. There's no emotional connection. Yeah, I, I just to me to me at the start, and I think Fran makes a good point. It's really only at the point where uh, I know it's confusing, but they're, they're both kind of called the same one, so we'll just say Connery. So when Connery realizes that his son might be dead off the, you're kind of going like that. Mm, I'm not not sure. I'm not sure I connect with this. Like that's to me, that's not what a father. Does that make sense? It's not really what a father be like. Right, it's taken to the point where I think my son's dead, where I'm actually now starting to feel guilt. You know. Uh, yeah, maybe they've leaned uh, too much into a cartoon version of the absent dad and so. it's not quite yeah. realistic enough to in the time frame of a two hour film or however long it is mm. they've maybe they've got a bit too late to the point where there was a real kind of character moment gordon i mean, yeah. didn't actually get your thoughts on connery um what's your thoughts on him in this film to be honest me they're quite mixed uh, there's always gonna as andy touched upon connery's charisma he does have that he still get He's got such a cinematic voice. He looks good as Indiana Jones. I like how he has his own kind of like archaeologist style, his own version of the hat and that, but maybe he's look like too much of a sort of old man. But I, I did say he's a slightly bumbling old man. I think he's a highly bumbling old man. I think I could have put that better. I think he um, he's, he comes across pretty incompetent for all the fun. He does have his moments. Um, I think... Um, like, like, yeah, I think that was, that was a bit where he got the chance to act. You know, when he, when I, th- I think it, there was genuine emotion from Connor there when, um, when Indy he does think Indy's fallen to his death, but that basically they're getting that a guy with the talent and the range of Connery and not quite using him to his full potential. I think he's pretty good, but like the com- the comedy didn't always work for me. I've got to be honest. Um, yeah, and I think I think you needed <clears throat> you needed more moments of him being being a, a more self-assured character, a bit tougher. I mean, I'm not saying you want Connery's Bond, but you want, or even even the guy or the rock, but he, I think he he, need, he did have his moments, like he's got, you know, he was eventually able to escape from a captor. All the times he gets captured in this film, honestly, but he uses his little um, pen that sprays ink, which is quite cool, but I just think there was, and then but before that, he's doing this kind of immature, immature like chicken impression with him and um, yeah. him and and uh, I've totally forgotten Denho Elliott's character's name. Yeah, Brody. And, and oh, is that when they do their kind of handshake in the tank? It's yeah. like... Yeah. Oh, those, I mean... Restoration. i got to say, like... These are kind of moments I had some time for years ago, but I'm really growing tired of it. Uh, like, good, in, good, like, sort of ingenuity by him, like, using the birds to, like, scare the birds to get the... The Nazi fight tried to go crashing down, but it's just like there's something I don't like about Sean Connery running along a beach making mm. chicken noises. I will um, tell you that was the scene where I stopped watching the film the first time. Mm-hmm. That was like, yeah, I'm not into this film. Uh, <laughs> that was the exact moment. It, it definitely goes between like you know, and I, and when Sean, I mean Connery is being serious. There's, there's actually a scene where I still laugh out loud to this point, and it's we're in the they're in the uh, blip, blimp. Is that what you call it? The big, mm-hmm, yeah. What do you call it? Aye. Airship. Airship. That, that's yeah, what no, uh, 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 Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Yeah. Zeppelin. Aye, fucking a big balloon, right? 
Um, and when they're in the scene and, and John uh, Ford is kind of, I can't remember what he's saying, but it's something like, oh, I never have time to talk, Dad. And Connor, he's reading his newspaper and he's like, right, fuck it puts it down, he scrolls it up, and he goes, right, let's talk now. And he just stares at he just stares at Harrison Ford and his eyes go so wide. Like that's the point when I think that that's funny. You know what I mean? Because obviously Harrison Ford's got nothing from him because he's just like, right, go talk. What do you want to yeah. say? To it's, me. I mean his his comedy range is good as well. Like I think there is moments that I do still think quite amusing after all these viewings. Yeah. I like for example after he's had that moment, I thought I lost you, boy. When he when he, he thought he died, he hugs him. They've got that, you know, serious well, moment. Then, then, then within seconds, he's like, well, what are you doing sitting resting? Let's go or something like that. So, Well, it's like it's, it's, it's more so the, um, they're, they're in the scene and they're going away and they're in the kind of car. Uh, I can't remember what you call it. So the motorbike. Oh, the motorbike and the, the sidecar. Side yeah. yeah. And they obviously stop. It's the point where they're about to kind of either go to whatever or Berlin. And Joan uh, Ford is kind of like, oh, we'll need to go here. And then I think Jordan says, um, God damn it, or Jesus Christ. And Connery like slaps him. And it's like, it just instantly turns into this like proper sort of serious tone. We get a wee bit of exhibition about his mum and stuff like that. And I kind of thought like, this, not here, like not here. Like they're literally sitting in a sidecar in the middle of nowhere. And we're now getting this like really deep exposition about, you know, the mum, uh, and it's like pff, I don't know. Yeah, the script was I, I, inconsistent. I think. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe Connery's character here because it's like he's literally going from one minute to be this right, I'm um, chasing buds across the beach to then it's like, well, I don't you ever, don't you ever blaspheme in front of me? And it's like then you kind of see that sort of serious, strict father. I just kind of thought that that understood the direction they were trying to go with the two. It just for me, I never ever got. I never ever got that. It, it, it never never felt right. Yes, one. T- it's hard to nail down. Sorry, who's you going to speak there, Gordon? So yeah, well, I suppose to sum up, I guess what I'm saying is, it isn't similar to what you said about Alison Doody. It's not so much Connery. It's more the writing. With Connery, we know what he can do. We know he can be such a believable, self-assured, evenly you know infallible character. But and it's things like I think. And the more I see it, the more it grates me. Things like him in the sidecar when Indiana Jones is on the bike. It's not just that moment, but it's kind of an imagery. It's like, I'm Indy, but this is my sort of like slightly bumbling kind of yeah, just kind hanger of on. Like, what is yeah. it? It's kind of like two cartoon characters. It's like, um, you know, like, oh, this is like my wee sort of assistant. I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's almost the way. Ah, it's almost the way he's sitting in the car as well. He's like kind of hunched in, Aye. he's holding his briefcase and. You know, it's. I know what you mean. That's again. Like a kind totally. of wood couple or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. Andy knows what because he says like sayings like this. It's like his little sort of dog. Was it begins with a D? Like dog's body. No, I can't like dog's body. It's just like it, I hate the whole imagery of him in the sight. And it's like you do get moments as well. He where where Henry Jones Senior is genuinely incompetent. Where he, we talked about it on another podcast. He's. He's using the tail gunner of the plane and he shoots the back of his own plane and he's that uh, very American line. But just sorry, how do you... they got us. <laughs> there was more than once. Oh, there, was, there, was an air, there was an earlier line where he sounded so American, mm. I can't remember what it was. It's weird, but and there's weird kind of mannerisms from Connor at times in this that are a bit too comedic. It's not just the way he says things what he says but the way he looks and the way he says mm. but yeah I, I get yeah I'm mixed I mean it's at, at the end of the day it's Connery and I'd, I still when Crystal Skull came out uh, I thought 
just even if they'd had Connery for five minutes, like it would have. He was approached. Yeah. Um, he was retired at the point. Yeah. Do you know what? And, and fun fact before we go on, when they're when they're the scene I spoke about where they're talking to each other at the dinner table, um, it's probably quite relevant to tonight. It was that hot and the where they were filming that scene that the two Connery and Ford uh, didn't have any trousers on. They yeah. just sat in their pants. Uh, very, very fitting. Did, if that is that the same kind of section of the film, I think it is the same scene when Ford chucks the guy out. Oh, of the that, is, that is no ticket. That's the bit I laughed. I didn't laugh very much in this film, but I did laugh yeah. at that because I've yeah. seen yeah, I mean, I've can... seen that lampooned in um mall no uh dogma it's, it's and I hadn't, I hadn't realized that that was what they were doing. I just thought so. I really did that. I was like. Ah. It's just the way, Ford, it's the way Ford says it as well. He just says it that Harrison Ford almost so hand solo way. Like, yeah. No ticket. No ticket. <laughs> but do you know what? It's funny. You were saying at the start, Gordon, about how Raiders and Last Crusades kind of almost merge. See, when that scene happened, I could have swore that was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, when you see the, the, the Zeppelin and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, I, I totally forgot that was actually in this film. Yeah, I it's think just, set design... And yeah. settings comes into that because there is times in this film I thought they could have done maybe set design a bit better. They could have made it a bit different. Like for example, the finale scene is more just like a, a general looking temple. Although we did look, it was quite cool. It was obviously a huge canyon and everything, but obviously well, I think it's things like that. Like they could have yeah. made done more to make it different setting wise. Or here's another old but, castle. You know? But one thing I would say, I mean, it is repetitive in my mind. You know, Bond. Sorry, Jones getting pursued by Nazis in a desert environment, similarly to the way he was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I yeah. thought the castle scene was meant to be depicted in Austria. It was quite, it was quite moody and atmospheric in a way. And I don't like some of the kind of comedic elements to it. Ford's Scottish no accent. No worst. Oh. I want to see the tapestries. I think it's very like Russian or something. I thought that sounded Indian there, Scott. <laughs> That's what you say. Yeah. The tapestries. I suppose the good thing with that is, is that they obviously set it up. It's a horrendous accent, but the the sort of the sort of like kind of keeper is just like, well, if you're a ah, uh-huh. they make they know a it. self awareness there. Aye, it's kind of it's quite good as well. And again, you've done a worse job, is it? Yeah. You know, in terms of doing the accent, <laughs> you have to view the tapestries. Tapestries. Yeah. Really bad. And, uh, uh, but they, they, they kind of do that as well. Um, obviously, when Jones is giving his speech to the to the class, he goes X never marks the spot, and then they kind of they kind of make fun of you know it's like kind of that self referential sort of the X does mark the spot in Venice. Mm, you know what I mean? So those those wee kind of things, I, I quite like that. I, yeah. I love actually that scene as well when Jones. Uh, Plus, how the fuck they never seen a big massive X on the floor, by the way, when they walked into that? I've no idea. But anyway, so when Jones goes up and sees it, and this is the thing about Jones, right? Jones is meant to be an archaeolo- archaeological... Ugh. Why can I not say that word? You know what I'm doing? Right? Archaeologist. Archaeologist, that's it. was it. like when yeah. I was trying to remember Marcus Brody's name, I on you go. <laughs> so he is in a church, I think, right? Or a library, right? Old, you know, whatever in Venice. And he has got absolutely no care in the world just to pick up a fucking, you know, metal bar and just smash the floor <laughs> of the church. It's like, if he was a true archaeologist, he would not do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, it is, it is literally like the the tunnel vision of, of Indiana Jones. Like, nothing will get in his way to, to, to get in what he wants. He will literally fucking break everything, fuck everything to get 
to get what he wants. Do you know what I mean? And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's ludicrous well. for them to think. That's literally the tagline in the movie. I think that two or three times would break through the floor. I mean, I know. <laughs> an, an ancient library. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did like, however, they look at the. It kind of pans over to the wee guy um, who looks like Albert Einstein for whatever reason, and when he's like kind of hitting the stamp, that's the sound, and then obviously he kind of looks at the stamp, like yeah. I quite, I, I quite like that. I quite like that. Let's say I laughed yeah. at it, but I was like, okay, I can see what you're doing. That's quite funny. Um, yeah. So, so there's moments. It's a very inconsistent film. I think there's points that are really fantastic. The ideas work, and there's points where it doesn't quite work. I think. Uh, well, I tell you that, that that I would probably say for me. So we so we so we obviously get the start scene. We we get the the Donovan sets up the exposition. He then goes to Venice. So obviously they go down in the catacombs, and I think this 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 bit for me is cool. Right, this is this is this is for me. It's like right, okay, this is Indiana Jones. He's in these kind of catacombs. There's like skulls. It's it's all kind of dark and creepy. I like this. Um, quick fact on here: the rats they actually bred five thousand rats for this specific scene, which is utterly bonkers. That's insane. Um, Bonkers. You they imagine had mechanical you had, ones, didn't they, for the ones uh, they set on fire? Thousand, yeah, it was like a thousand mechanical ones. But you imagine putting that on your CV, like Scott. What have you done in your life? I bred five thousand rats for the last crusade. Yeah, yep. and they told me they were domesticated rats, which I think makes them easier to manage. Because it's like, how are Alison Doody and Harrison Ford going? Because it did look like they were genuinely they had to be disease free. The snakes at the beginning. Well, that's it. I mean, real like wild rats would have torn up my shred. I mean, like, actors, yeah, just get in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, t- you take to be one of the guys that's like ordered them. So, what ones have you ordered? Uh, it's definitely the uh, the correct ones. Which ones? Hang on a minute. You so, said uh, domesticated oh, rats. <laughs> I mean, it was, um, maybe that's another bit. It's getting slightly bonding. You'll pound in the jar now. But, like, thinking back to life from Rush with Love, the tunnel sequence, I love how in that. They, they flew a guy out to Spain to take one shot of a bunch of rats running for two seconds, but it's like they're such hard things to control. Yeah. I, so I, I, so I, I think that scene again, but then you go into the tomb, he finds the he finds this tomb of the night, right? And he just he just rips it open. It just there's no care in the world for like preservation. He just bursts the top of the tomb open, takes a rough kind of what does it do? It's like a crayon sketch on um, sort of like trace paper Tablet or whatever. Thing. Yeah. Um. Then he obviously jumps into petroleum, and then <laughs> when he How comes back, how you see through that underwater? I know. I was going to say, uh, there was a lot of moments where you have to just put your brain on. Ah, it's like suspended disbelief yeah. here. He jumps into petroleum. He's got his eyes open. He comes out of that shit, and that trace paper is immaculate. <laughs> like that is immaculate. The exact same tracing he done. Um. But I think for me, no, scratching him. Exactly. All of that. All of that aside, like I loved it. I love the scene that obviously gets set up on fire. There's then the chase. I'm, I'm not sure what the character's name is, but it's the chap from the the Brotherhood. And I'm going to add Azim, a pound. I think. I, I think it is. I'm going to add a pound into the bonjar because the the boat chasing is literally. You, you could have put that in any Bond film, and obviously, like kind of leading up to the the um the sort of propeller kind of fight scene with a guy i think it's one of the best lines probably in any film so when jones has kind of got the guy by the scruff of the neck and he's like punching him or whatever you know it's like where's the grail tell me and the guy 
the guy was like, we're, we're going to die. And Jones was like, ah, well, it'll kill us both. And then the guy just looks at Jones and he's like, my soul's prepared to die. How about yours? And Jones is like, nope, I'm a shite bag. <laughs> yeah. I think I think, I think, think that scene is so good, but the way it's shot, it's you kind of, yeah, you kind of do feel, for me, I don't think you feel a lot of stakes in this film, but I think at that point, it's like, shit, I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, they do, you know literally... what, do you know what I think the stakes come from, right? I think partly it comes from the fact that the actors must have had to get that goddamn right the first time, because how many boats would they be able to destroy? I mean, they, they've they've shot that in such a way, like, I think the tension comes across from yeah. the fact that it's shot. That's that's a that's a an expensive shot. It's like do it. You got to get this right, and I think that comes across from the actors. And I think the actors there's a bit of genuine nervousness there as well because oh, think about what was going on next to them. It's terrifying, and as I say, it's the way it's the way because even sort of just he's so calm, and he just stops. He just almost as if he just stops breathing and just stares at uh, Indiana Jones, and it's like, well, I'm muscles ready to die, just sure. like the girls in the classroom. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe, maybe the reason. That, maybe the reason that they adore him so much is because they secretly know some of these kind of missions he goes on. So he's not just a great teacher. It's like I think, oh, listen, I think before we make jokes, we need to, we need to understand the age of these of these people in this classroom, right? Before we, well, they know, were college students, weren't they? Oh, that's uh... not teaching in a high school. I don't think. <laughs> we, 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 were in, we were in uni. We were in our twenty. I was in. Obviously, we were in uni. To we were what, like twenty three, twenty whatever. Wow. So who who knows? We'll move on anyway. Um, I, I, I I fancy Harrison Ford right oh, now. Think okay. age gap. So. Basically, basically, what we're saying is is Har- is Indiana Jones is a horny pedophile. Right? We've agreed. No, he tried to escape. He ran out the window. <laughs> So he's a paedophile with morals then. So he, you know uh, No, he's just too attractive for his own good. You can't criticize somebody for being hot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's like, that's like going, yeah, he's just they're just too good looking to execute them, you know? Yeah. But then uh, again, I mean I think about it, Kasim whatever he was prepared to die just to get one last look. So there you go. No, uh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just an awe of the way uh, Jones looked and it's just like, ah, fuck it. If I'm going to yeah. die, I'll die being chopped up by a propeller looking at Harrison Ford. I mean, that's, that's how I'd want to go. I do like, <laughs> look like we, we haven't really spoke specifically about Ford in this film. I think now may be a good time. I do like Scott. You pointed this out in the very first podcast. His, uh, I don't know his style of acting, especially in the action scenes. That sort of over the top and <laughs> the hands go back, and he's got, you know, it's, it's, just like... just, it's, it's, it's really good. I was looking out for it, and I did enjoy that. I just love it. It's especially in the when he rescues his dad in the the castle scene, and there's a couple of kind of like almost claustrophobic fight scenes. Um, and like we kind of touched on at the start, he's he's not a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's he's not like a trained assassin. So I I quite like the fact that he kind of he he does sort of bumble his way through, and you know wins a fight, but but not just out of brute force. It's it kind of is a wee bit of luck and all that kind of stuff. So no, I quite like it. But now you're right. It's some of the some of the fight scenes shouldn't be funny, but I think it's the way that Ford acts make make it funny. If that makes sense. Yeah, Gordon. What's your thoughts on Ford in this film? I thought he was very good. Like, I, I don't. Um, I know I have been. I, I've sounded maybe a bit critical of the film, but Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones to me, and this is a classic Indiana Jones performance. And whoa, oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's just he grips you throughout. I think um, his one liners really good. Dialogues another really sharp part of the film. Um, 
I guess I've not really thought about about him too much because there's so much going on around him. There's there's it's pretty much non-stop action for for quite a long time. But I do like the 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 idea of Indiana Jones. He is a fallible character. Uh, I do think there's a see we see when I said like there's times where I think Connery's expressions and the way he says things doesn't feel real. I think it feels a lot, a lot of these exchanges, Harrison Ford, it does feel like real emotion a lot of the time. Like I can't really, I can't really criticize him too much. That's probably the best I can, I can really say about him. And he's not, he's not, he's using his, you know, he's, he's always looking for clues. He's coming out. He's not relying on other people. He's not getting carried by other things. He's, you know, he, he's, he's finding out things for himself. He gets a bit of assistance along the way, but it's like the fact that he was able to get to that tomb so quickly in Venice, for example, I know it's maybe a bit daft, or how does he not see the X on the floor? X marks the spot, but, you know, he, it's, um, he just feels like classic Indiana Jones in this film. There's nothing about him that really irritates me or doesn't feel right or anything like that. That's what I was, yeah. sorry, I was going to say, right. that's what I was, that's what I was kind of leading up to. So see, see the Venice scene, you know, we get Harrison Ford, he kind of is centre stage, and I think he's brilliant. Like, he steals every scene, as Gordon says, when he's figuring out the the Roman uh, numerals and stuff. I think the part for me is that up until that point, and it's only when Sean Connery's introduced to the film, that's kind of where it starts to get a wee bit jarring for me, because it's these two heavyweights that are kind of trying to steal each scene, if that makes sense. Um I think he's fearless as well is another reason I really like Indy in this film. It's like, I guess, like, extremely quickly, um, Schneider tells um, Donovan, no, you pick this cup. It's like, that doesn't take much thought. But, uh, like, Ford is so... Sorry, Indy is so self-assured and fearless. He knows instantly, right, that's a carpenter's cup. That's the one we're going to try. Well, he's not fearless because he was shiting himself when he was getting chopped, nearly chopped up by a boat propeller. You know, shot himself. Nobody's fearless, though, Scott. But my point is, <laughs> and, 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 no, and maybe in no situations. <laughs> but my point is, like, he's a lot compared to like me or you. I'm sure, like, he's pretty. He feels pretty fearless. Like, not much things scare him, which is like kind of more my point. Because you know, but well, I think I think the way that the Indiana Jones, what he's got against these Nazis and stuff like that, is he's he's got knowledge. You know, he obviously realised that. The, the cup of Christ is never going to come. It's never going to be this like kind of massive sort of like king's chalice um, sort of thing. So it, he's always got that sort of knowledge. Uh, wisdom how wisdom has been wisdom. aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowledge is power, and yeah, definitely. You're you're right. That's one of his main key things. That that's how he somehow gets out of all these scrapes. Yeah, I really enjoy Ford in this film. He's always compelling. Fran, I just oh sorry, I'm, Andrew. I was just going to quickly say, jump in there. Uh, I just think Ford was born to play Indiana Jones and he's just got that kind of charisma that just really works. He's, he's got a kind of intensity about him and I think most of his films that yeah, yeah. just works kind of emotionally between himself and a lot of the other characters and integrating with the story, I reckon. Yeah, and age isn't an issue either. I mean, it's obviously since uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's eight years, but you don't he, he doesn't for a second feel too old. He's got the physicality as well. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's helped by some some fantastic stunt work, got to say, as well. It's funny you should say that, Gordon. The, the, apparently, the, his stuntman in most of the Indiana Jones films actually took him aside and said, like, can I, like, can I do some stuff? Because Jones, 
in this one, he pr- he pretty much done all his um, his own stunts, like Borders, all the yeah. like all the tank stuff when he's hanging off the tank. That that is that's Harrison Ford. That's that's um, you know, it's not a stunt double. I came it's across that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there wasn't really moments where you could see oh, that's obvious stuntman face. I mean, it was. Uh... I think it. I think it must be a. I think it must be like a director's dream when when the actual main character does it because it just means that they don't have to. They don't have to edit it as as dramatic and frequent when the when the real actor is doing it. Like kind Tom Cruise of, as well. Yeah. Like the, the Mission Impossible films, always the action scenes always seem dead. Like you know, they're they're, they're just they can get in close they because they they're not scared exactly. of the, the fact they're the guy is completely different. Exactly. Um, but also, so I think there's that, a risk though, as Tom Cruise proved proven the when the rain actor breaks his leg, filming shuts down for nearly a year. Yeah. So. Oh, well, shit happens. All right, okay. I but I would say though as well, seeing seeing Harrison Ford, I I touched on this before. I don't look at him in any of the Indiana Jones films. Like uh, that's really Han Solo, just like in a different different costume. You know, he to me he's always Indiana Jones. When I see him in Star Wars, he's Han Solo. Even when I see him in some of his less well-known films, like you know the the Jack Ryan films, or like um you know or Who Lies Beneath, or any Blade Runner, you know you don't. It's not like people say, for example, or oh, Henry Cavill couldn't be Bond because he was Superman, but you, there was not a second to me like in any of these Indiana Jones films you thought that like that's too much like Han Solo. There was only I, mean? I was only I would only say there's only one part when they're in the plane and Connery's like, Do you know how to fly? And Jones just shouts back, Fly, yes, land, no. Very handsome, yeah. Uh, Do you expect me to walk? I thought, no, I expect her to fly. <laughs> I, I, I got a bit of it as well when in the boat sequence, which I did like as well. Actually, I did find this quite funny when he's saying, "Don't go in between them," or whatever. And she's like, "Go in between them? Are you crazy?" Yeah. <laughs> I remember the bit as well where the plane flies into the tunnel and the pilot goes by and just sort of stares mm. at them with complete he's just like uh what's going on and then explodes <laughs> just completely dies by the way i never got to talk about my thoughts on ford yet a bunch of plumbing it's because you're always on mute and speak up man i stop eating I, that i was just trying to be, sandwich and try speak to, up all right okay you go. polite for a change all right speak now <laughs> if i ever hold your piece <laughs> right, well, i tell you what i'm holding a piece of piece and jam that's what i'm holding right. right anyway right here we go what am i going to say actually well before you start i want it <laughs> It's getting to the point where I want to split the, the file, so I'm going to stop recording. Thank you. All right, so can I speak now? Okay, on you go. Well, once again, I'll say thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, Harrison Ford, top of his game, like Scott was saying, he's at his prime, prime of his life. He's not too young, he's not too old. He's like the the uh, Goldilocks and the whatever, porridge, you know, not too hot, not too cold. He's just right at the right point here. Um, I think he, you know, he's. It's really interesting, actually, in some ways, because in a way, Harrison Ford is one of those actors that kind of plays himself a bit. Because Han Solo and Indiana Jones are not too different to each other. They're sort of morally ambiguous, a little bit lucky, cocky. Do you know what I mean? All yeah. all those elements are there. So when when um, I think it was at Gordon or Andrew said he was born to play the role, right? Because at the end of the day, Harrison Ford isn't playing. Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones as a as an avatar of Harrison Ford, basically. Yeah, in my view, Harrison yeah. Ford's that natural coolness, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, like definitely. Connery. That's it. and 
I think that's the, that's usually something you would notice in most A-list lead stars, like the types, uh-huh. the, the the ones that are like your Tom Cruise and things like that. Ones that are and Sean Connery actually is that like I, I think um you know he tries to do a lot of different accents or not he didn't do accents but he would try and do different things but it's usually a Sean Connery performance but he's also apparently Egyptian or something <laughs> but it's Sean Connery really he's good and he's fantastic at what he's doing. But it's not like a, a Gary Oldman who is Gary Oldman can look and be completely transformed in a different way. Uh-huh. Exactly. And I think the thing is as well that when you watch Harrison Ford interviews, once if Harrison Ford gets into it, if he's enjoying himself in an interview, he's a bit like his characters. He's like, uh-huh. you know, say things to the, the interviewers, they'll be like, excuse me? Like, or whatever, like he kind of, like you know, that thing where it was like, no, take it, or whatever, like he gets that tone. That's Harrison Ford, that's who he is. Uh-huh. Like, he's it, like in a sense, I feel like there's a similarity between comedians and leading men, because comedians that play characters in films tend to be the same. They kind of bring themselves to it. Do you know what I mean? So there's there's that there's that. Do you see that? What I mean about that similarity that that you're you know say you get Chris Rock playing a role. Do you know what I mean? It's it's basically Chris Rock in it. Um, you know, and your leading men will be or leading leading characters actually because it's the I same know. for women as I, well. I, I, I use um, men as an example, but I just realised, um, of course, it could be. Um, yeah, well, it could be anybody really. Your lead, your your kind of lead role um is there for the personality. And the real telltale sign is that they are not the same as like Gary Oldman, like you said. Like they're not character actors that will be totally different in the interviews, because they are what they bring. I mean, even like William Shatner as Captain Kirk. William Shatner, Captain Kirk was a smarmy kind of guy. Do you know what I mean? At times, a bit cock, whatever. Shatner is exactly like that. Sean Connery. Sean Connery is basically the only difference with Sean Connery is he's not got license to kill training. Or he's dead now, obviously, but he's, but he, you know, like if Sean Connery could very easily, like, I don't know how to describe this. If if you went back in time and you changed Sean Connery's life, he probably would have been like a double agent. Do you know what I mean? If he got that training and he would have been no. swath. I mean, you look at obviously uh, <laughs> that immediately makes me think Christopher Lee, who's a great actor, and he actually did work for the Secret Service and would, isn't even able to speak about or wasn't able to speak about certain operations that he did. So, I mean, or you look at, I, uh, you know, the, there are various actors that have done extraordinary yeah. things. In I think the, one of the most jarring voices that I think I, I ever heard was probably Christian Bale, because. You obviously, the majority of the time, he's either in an American accent or whatever other accent. But when you <laughs> you hear him doing an interview, it's like, yeah, fucking yeah, all right, mate, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he kind of talks like that, and it's like, I think t- probably to the American audiences, uh, their their heads are probably just blown when he talks in like interviews and stuff. Yeah. I can um, understand what you're saying because I've only really I've seen several of his films, but I've not seen much publicity he's done. I remember like watching one interview, and I didn't. Really know about his background, and I was kind of stunned yeah. like his English accent. <laughs> is, is, he's yeah, Welsh as well, but is he is it an English accent he actually has in real life now? Because uh, I think it is. Welsh. Yeah, he is Welsh. Right? Definitely, I, I, I don't. I, uh, I suppose there's um, parts of Wales that that, that, that I suppose sound English, mm, um, right. but um, it's it's very like you know, it's very like that. You know what I mean? Fucking yeah. Yeah. Um, I just so I just if I was going to ask what's the what's the bond counter at? How much oh, is it? I the think bond? we're about seven pounds, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well it's a penny per time that you mentioned bond. Oh so, right, I thought yeah. it was a pound. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. Uh sure. no, so speaking of accents to transition back to the film, what did we think of Julian Glover's accent? 
Ah, it was kind of strange, wasn't it? Like, because he is a, an English actor. Um, he yeah. sounded kind of American some of the time. I thought he was Irish I, at one point. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I, I really I think, struggled um, to place what he was trying to do. I would say, though, like, more... That didn't... It, that's not something Steve I'd say really stood out to me. It was more just like, although I liked him in this, similar to I liked him in, you know, like, I suppose a few eyes on Oops. But um, he he came across um, like very theatrical the way he said all the lines in this film. Yeah, yeah it was almost it, like a stage actor sort yeah. of thing. I mean, trying like, to yeah. ham it up maybe more than the scene deserved, maybe. Yeah, definitely yeah, like, exaggerating it for sure. Yeah. Again, it kind of for me it just played into that like right well. He's, he's henchman going pick up Jones. He's a rich businessman, and then when he starts talking, it's kind of like, all right, well, it's just it's just bad guy written all over him. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think he. I think he, he he served it well. He's obviously he was very calm, and you know, I I don't think he he wasn't overly offensive on it. I don't think he was. I don't think the his accent was. It wasn't jarring for me. I never yeah. noticed it to be honest. So Salah then. John Reese davies um, we've barely mentioned him in an entire podcast. What's our thoughts on him? We won't spend too much on it, just a, bit, a wee bit on him. Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you then. I think he's quite similar to his role in the first film. He's quite charismatic and serves his purpose, really. I suppose he's quite he's got that kind of comedic bumbling side to him as well, but you kind of know where he's, he's got loyalty to Indiana Jones. And I think maybe the scenes he's that he features in, they do kind of grab your attention as well, and they're kind of significant in that way. Um, but I, I don't really feel he's that instrumental to the film, but I suppose he probably wasn't intended to be. Yeah, he's sort of, I mean, is it comic relief, or he's just a foil for, for Brody, really? Yeah, is it maybe meant to show as well, maybe how Jones is quite kind of cultured, and he's got like friends and different countries and environments that kind of thing as well but yeah i'd imagine so actually I, yeah. I think i think to me it just seemed although i never wasn't like part of the the hype when it was first out but even now watching it it's kind of like it, it just seems as if it's part of the fan service to to retain what raiders was and i think just having john reese because I, I, I don't think he was in temple of doom was he i don't remember no. him so i don't think he was so um in fact, I think there's only I think it's only two character two actual actors that have been in all three films. So he's he just seems as if it's like, right, let's go back to basics. What did everyone like from the first film? Let's just let's just somehow sort of, you know, signpost them in. I don't think it's overly offensive. I just think it's, you know. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Gordon, do you have a quick bit on him? Yeah, I agree that it was kind of fan service to have him in there because I like the fact he was there. I mean, if somebody said, would you have wanted him in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Yeah, in a heartbeat. However, he was more bumbling in this film. He didn't do much of value. So, yeah, didn't didn't do a lot for me. Although I, I do... I, again, I mean, John Rhys-Davis had that presence. He's, he's a great actor. I, I love to see him. Aye. Okay. Right, we'll try and cover a couple of elements of just the, this, the film in terms of things like the score. I want to talk about the John Williams score. What's your thoughts on this? I think it's um yeah, I, I'd probably agree, but I, John Williams, as we said in the Jurassic Park, he's just he's just got this knack of being able to compose music which fits the which just fits the the, 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 the theme of a film. 
Um, and obviously, like the Jurassic Park theme, Jaws, and what all the other ones he's got. As soon as you hear that motif, it's just like, well, I just think of Harrison Ford. I just think of Indiana Jones, the fedora. Um, I love the Holy Grail theme. Anytime the, the, the Grail is spoken about, and even the scene at the end, I think that's epic. That's, you know, really, really good. It's quite haunting as well. Um, yeah, I think it I think it serves its purpose. I think like Sir Gordon said at the start, when the, the fedora goes on River Phoenix and he obviously lifts his head up, you get the you know, it's it's it's, it's quite good. But yeah. So sometimes I think it could be a it can be a wee bit overplayed. It's kinda like a one trick pony for me. Um mm. but still good. I, I still like it. Yeah, Fran. Yeah, well I, I agree. Like I, I think that the and this it actually goes across all the films. I think the kind of mystical, mysterious music that comes in with the you know, whatever they're after, or the, the kind of more paranormal aspect, mm. um, really, ha- and and also the kind of music around the Nazis, like the kind of foreboding music when they're in um, Berlin or whatever. I love all that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's funny actually because it kind of, I, I know, I, I just want to make a little note to mention this, but uh, I love this, I love the paranormal aspect of Indiana Jones as well that the music signifies because the Indiana Jones films own the fact that there's things going on in the world that are supernatural, like you know the Holy grail or the 700 year old soldier or the the ark of the cup you know what i mean like in the indiana jones universe the christian religion the jewish religion the muslim religion are all real like they're actually quantifiably true in that universe you know um and obviously so, aliens uh-huh, aliens as well like i love all that like I, you could actually do like a marvel type thing in the indiana jones universe with all these different like, world building elements it would be incredible that being said to go back to the music, the music that signifies that stuff gives it that kind of, um, it's it's almost like a spooky kind of otherworldly feel that I don't think I've ever really heard in any other film. I, I don't think any any composer has done it as well, if that makes sense, like the idea of the sort of, the kind of, it's almost like the audio version of something that is glorious but also terrifying at the same time. Like, yeah. awe, like the sound of awe, the sound of ter- like terror and being awestruck by something that's beyond human comprehension is, yeah. is how I would describe that music. All right. I think that's it's just, just, it's just John incredible. Williams on it. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you would describe John Williams that way? Like, put that. <laughs> awe, awe and terror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's beyond human comprehension, that guy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Williams, yep. Yeah, he's the only one that could have pulled it off. So, in fact, it's funny because so many people that are involved in this film are the only people that could have done it. Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford, John Williams. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's the, there's probably a Spielberg team, I think. The editor's the same editor from Jurassic Park that he'll use a few years later as Michael Kahn. Um Sorry, Andrew, I'll let you speak on the music. I was just going to say, John Williams, I think he's just got such an incredible, unique talent for just powerful and atmospheric music that perfectly suits whatever's happening in the screen. A lot of it, the music is not necessarily to my taste. Sometimes I think it can be quite light, and I don't like a lot of the kind of brassy or Floaty sounding elements to some of his music, but I don't think you can argue about how it suits a lot of what's happening in the screen. I, I just think he's incredible in that respect. Yeah. yeah. What you get with that John Williams score is pretty much no matter what the film is that he's contributed to, his scores take, or his soundtracks take up, if you go and listen to them in isolation, which I really recommend, they take a life of their own. It's not like it's just a background to the film, so it's easy to forget. Some film scores are, a lot of film scores are, but um, it's just it's so dynamic. You know what you're gonna get with John Williams. It's uh, I would think 
in terms of the indie ones, it's maybe not one of the best ones, maybe my least favourite out of them, but that's that's because it's in keeping with the tone of the movie because a lot of it, it is bits of music it sounded almost like stuff he did in Hooker. Even there was a bit sounded like the Wet Bandits at Home Alone at one point when they were in the airship, you know. So it's like it's following the tone of the film perfectly, and it's got enough of you want enough of those bits, a few bits in the film where it plays the Raiders March. I think is the name of it, the real like the the official sort of indie theme, if you like. Um, and that's the thing he's going to even no matter how many sequels they do. For Indiana Jones, hopefully not too many. If they're gonna get in John Williams back, which they are for Indiana Jones Five, that's already a big reason to see the film. Do you know? By the way, I, I would actually call the Indiana Jones music the lucky music. So, like, say Indiana Jones was in Vegas and he won, it would come on. It would be like do 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 do. slot machine, like, like a kind of. Uh, uh, or it, like if he, if he just manages to catch a lift, the doors closing, and he goes in, it would go do 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 do. Like like just as anything positive happened to him because that if you look at where that fanfare comes on in the film generally around the point where he's getting lucky like it generally seems to signify that genuinely succeeding or whatever i love how you're using that in the actual sense of getting lucky and not in the sort of sense of with a lady (laughs) (laughs) imagine that listen he goes on dates and like (laughs) you want to go for a drink gets her up to the the hotel room and just is about to blow his load just imagine though right that he had imagine it was real and he had to tell women that like imagine that listen i've got to tell you before we go on the date that music starts playing sometimes so just be just prepared for that you know when i go for a shit and if it's a good shit You'll maybe hear the music, right? <laughs> well, and if it's a bad one, it'd be the foreboding that's Like I said, I'm John Williams, he can soundtrack anything. <laughs> I think John Williams, I say, come back to come back to our John. Um, <laughs> I think um I think he just he's he's got an incredible knack. I mean, I don't think they're I suppose Hans Zimmer potentially came is coming close to that, but I mean, talk about all the massive films that he's done. Jurassic Park, so relatable to that film. Mm. Superman. You uh-huh. can basically, you could basically go through Jaws. You could basically go through all of John Williams' sort of big scores and basically and know them, know them all, like, like sing yeah. them all. Yeah, yeah. iconic. It's, it's, it, he does yeah. whimsy. Like he does whimsy so well. Like that is how I would describe. Yeah, it. I mean, I'd almost say he's like the Mozart of soundtracks because. Mozart, you know, you you know, you anybody would know Mozart to hear it, even if they weren't a classical music fan, and most people would be able to identify John Williams' music and what film it came from. And the thing is that that's this the talent. It you know, it's funny because he's he would be a great pop music or rock music writer, like for songs, because he could write great musical hooks for mm-hmm. for songs for for you know, I mean, they're recognisable. They're not fluffy. You, like you you know you know exactly who it is. He did soup. Did he do Superman? Yeah. Yeah, um, oh, there's another one. Another one ex- exactly is uh, the same. You know, um, I'd say that a comparable composer I'd say is Jerry Goldsmith. He's he's yeah. someone who's he's not obviously not as proli- prolific, well not as mm-hmm. as well known, but he's got that. He's in he's from that school of create a recognisable hook. Create he's got a type. style as well. Yeah, I suppose that's what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I, I always kind of group them together as a as you know the the. There's a similarity in how they compose, for sure. Who was Goldsmith? Was he Star Trek and Robocop 2? Um, I think it was... Was it Robocop 2? 
he's done such a, a range though like so like obviously John Williams he does a lot of like children's films and stuff as well like, I mean actually my favourite Jerry Goldsmith scores probably US Marshals but that's a different thing entirely but like if you had a like a, a Mount Rushmore film composers John Williams would definitely be one of them up there James Horner's another one of that kind of similar ilk as yeah. well uh, for me about, Williams is up there as the main one for me definitely. what about Jun- Junkie XL yeah, he did um, Alien, music for Alien as well, uh, Goldsmith. They all begin um, with J, I think the best ones are Hans Zimmer. Like, uh, Danny Elfman, I've got a strong support for Danny Elfman in there as the Mount Rushmore. He's he's definitely the he's definitely the kind of more atmospheric. Yeah, if you want um, aye, some aye. sort of ghoul kind of theme yeah. thing going on. Then you've got Danny Elfman. <laughs> Uh, okay. Your face was so worrying there, Steve, when you were doing that. <laughs> yeah, right. So we will have to. On a wee bit. We're gonna. Uh, we're coming close to the end time here. Um, before we get Can to I... the ratings, is there? I was gonna put out there. Is there anything we haven't discussed that is clearly like we need to discuss? Right. Maybe the finale. Of the yeah, finale. I was about to say the finale. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the finale. Uh, I was going to talk about the finale. Okay. What were you going to talk about? This is just like Fran all over again. We try and talk, and you just you just shut us down, Steve. Yeah. And then not only that, you stop the whole file as well. Stop yeah. the whole file. You right. shut us down. Well, what were you going to talk about, Scott? And I'll decide your, which is your, getting more important. With your nasally voice, you just shoot us down. Okay, so Gordon then. It's his job. <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say... It's his job. I was going to say... Um, <laughs> Thank you. What, Thank you. What, is, what, what did we all think about the Hitler scene? Can I want to talk oh, about that? Right, okay. What do we think about the Berlin scene? I thought it was but... hilarious and horrible and why? Many different Aye. things happened. Like but... I'm so conflicted about it. It's just like yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, it's, it's really this... it's funny, but it's really on the it nose. Just, it just can't be taken seriously. But it's perfect, all right? Here's the thing, right? So you've got um, Indiana Jones walks in and he, and, you know, he's having that discussion. Um, and he grabs her by the neck and he says, you've you've joined these people or whatever, but you can see tears on her eyes as she watches the books mm. get burned. Then, um, obviously, he's got the flipping book in his hand that the Nazis won. It's, <laughs> it's pushed right up to the source of Nazism and he signs his name in the book, right? Now, I love that, right? <laughs> like, I, But what you get to see here is a, is a, a wordless characterisation of Hitler's ego, right? Mm. Where Hitler... He doesn't have any thought in his mind of even even trying to look at what the book is. He just signs his name in it. Um, but it, you know, it, it it sort of it sums up so many different things in such a short scene. It's got a how how the the genius on display there being able to add a comedic moment to that scene is incredible. I know, but it's like I don't so, really find it wh- funny though, if I'm honest. No, I'm the same. So when did when was when was this set? Was this thirty seven? It was very vague. I think, but probably was. Just, 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 just before the war, yeah. Just before World War Two, right? Because I think for me, Sean Connery alludes to he hates the Nazis, right? Everyone hates the Nazis, right? And it's all well known that the Nazis are bad people, right? Bad men, right? Harrison Ford, right, Harrison Ford, uh, well, Indiana Jones, is face-to-face with the fucking guy who is going to end up killing, it probably already has, and going to end up killing millions of people Right, but the one thing that he's still concerned about is the Holy Grail. Well, I think probably because the Nazis could kill a whole lot more with these supernatural powers. So you know, I think you know he's not got. He doesn't know what the Nazis are going to do. Yeah, you know what I mean, uh, so he doesn't. Yeah, as far as he's concerned, 
he's just got to stop them getting to these, like obviously the Ark of the Covenant, the um, Holy Grail. But th- that's the thing that's interesting about it is that it's, just, it's like it's Hitler. And again, I suppose it's difficult because it's like would. I, I didn't real. I didn't know where it was placed. Well, he, here's what would happen, right? See, if Jones attacked Hitler there, the Nazis would get the book, and the rest of the Nazis would just go on with it. But that's the thing, like, um, you know, I, what were you thinking? Why didn't he do something to Hitler? Oh well, I don't think the Nazis. The first thought would be, um, what was he holding there? Was he holding that book? Oh, they did. Oh, they did investigate everything they had. They would. I, I, I do. I do think it's hilarious how Hitler. I, I agree. I resonate with. Fran's point about, you know, just tells you about Hitler's ego, like, he doesn't bear any attention to the contents of this book, he's just so arrogant he signs it as quick as he can But there was so much, how many pages was there in that book though, I mean, there must have been a lot of stuff that just wasn't relevant, maybe like notes he'd made along the way. See, I don't know you talk about, like, Hitler's it focuses on his ego, I I don't think that's anywhere near an accurate depiction of Hitler, because I don't think a random guy just appears in front of Adolf Hitler holding a book. He's not just going to sign it. You know, there would have probably been like, who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? What's that book? Do you know what I mean? I, bet, I mean, I, I don't think it's meant so to I get be it. So I get accurate. It. I know, that's what I'm saying. Hey, we've got Hitler in the film. It. Hey. I know, I get it. For me, I just think, it, again, it's just that tonal thing. It's just like, like yeah. there's a part of me that kind of like, this seems as if we're glamorizing this and it's making it into a joke. And it's Oh, like, I don't think so. I think it's more, I think it's more mocking. I think it's, it's yeah, it, I would agree there, with there's, that. There's, there's a kind of a, uh, a mocking, but also um, it's, it's, it's highlighting Think about it, Spielberg. Spielberg is not going to take that lightly. The burning of the books and Adolf Hitler. I mean, I look know. at Schindler's I can... List for God's sake. Well, I, mean, I don't know. I Spielberg's a, a Jewish a Jewish man. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those where he will he will have wanted the chance to mock Hitler and make him look a bit buff, like a bit like a buffoon. And, like, and a, like... I, don't know. I think he's got some skeletons in the closet as well, Stevie, because what? The, the uniforms that they found. Oh, the uniforms that they used were actual SS used uniforms from the war. <laughs> what you think he secretly killed millions of SS and his family and kept the uniforms? I think he's got. A, I think he's got a secret fetish for the Nazis. He's a Nazi sympathizer. There you Steven go. Steven Spielberg he's killed the SS. Good on. I him. feel like we're being fooled here. The troll alerts. I, I think. I think it's just kind of it's highlighting the scene. Maybe like one, the ignorance you, and tolerance you want... of the Nazis. I don't know. <laughs> what I find funny I... here is that Scott's figured out how to get me to do that voice. Oh, yeah. it's yeah. it's hilarious. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I would say? <laughs> I would I say. <laughs> no, I think all joking aside, um, I understood. I understand they're obviously trying to take the piss again. For me, it's just like, uh, did we need it? Mm, probably not. But, I think but basically you know, what what they were trying to say was we can get right under the Nazis' nose and still get away with it. I think mm-hmm. there's that element of of sort of the incompetent hubris of the Nazis, but also it has the scene of them burning the books. It has all of the people screaming and shouting and looking to what te- looking quite scary. You know, it's got. Um, it gives Indiana Jones a chance to to say the words. You've stepped into line with the worst people in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's, right there's in the a... heart of danger, kind of thing as well. Yeah. Maybe as yeah. uh, as on the nose and maybe daft as that scene was. Do you know what it does though? I think that was after a very lengthy comedic sequence between Jones and oh god, that's before the airship, isn't it? Well, I think it's uh, is that uh-huh. not the yeah. Point where... it's the airship oh god, my. Yeah, because I was about to say that's kind of rock bottom in terms of that's maybe as far 
where the daft side of films goes and then improves. But I think the airship's after that. But there is, obviously, towards the finale, I think, when the tone is getting a bit silly, they do reel it in a little bit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're little, they just have their little moments where they can't help it. But I think it's not... When I compare it to the other two films, especially the one preceding this film, like it's not as egregious. Because I think the second one was actually worse for some of the the silly humor. But ah, yeah, I'm not sure I, I feel that way actually. No, no. I think they're definitely on a. If you were to say that, maybe on an equal. Maybe, maybe just, in that regard, maybe my memory of the second one is not. I've only seen it like once, and we spoke through a lot of it, so my memory is not very good on that one. So maybe I need to rewatch mm-hmm. that one before I make comments like that. But um, right, so we'll move on then because we really don't have much time. The finale, then let's talk about that, Gordon. That was where we did go through a big midsection that film, probably specifically like the third quarter of the film, where my attention usually would start to go, and I think it did get a bit too eccentric. And I think there's some great parts, first of all, in the tank chase, but that final scene in, I guess you could call it a tomb, is uh, I think is really well done. Um, some of the special effects, maybe not so. A bit too, here's just your, like, a bit of a copy something similar at the start of Ages of the Lost Ark in terms of the booby traps. Um, but the fact that he, that you're, I like the, the whole bit about where, Jones has to go into the right steps to spell Jehovah. Like there's real tension there, and then he gets to this seemingly impossible gap. It's like no man can jump this, and like yeah, that's the a bit in the film. Like your palms would maybe be sweating. Certainly, we'll see a lot of times but, I've seen it. But uh, and then it, sorry, you go on. No, I was just going to say, just, and then just obviously the final room. Um, it's like this is where we get to just the, this is like all, all, this is all pretty much what. Indiana Jones, everything was built towards like the Holy Grail, and like if you drink the water the wrong cup, it could kill us. Like this is everything Indiana Jones has been learning for like his whole life. Um, so it kind of feels like it would have been the ultimate kind of ending if they had left it a trilogy. Um, I think just the tension is really good, and I think there is the extra angle about how he's getting coerced. I like the whole idea of a lot of this film is getting coerced by the enemies to do their to find something for them and serve them I think is really well done yeah I'm just really gripped with that whole finale Scott but I do think I do sorry I was just about to say like I do I'll get on to actually no, it's, some, it's less important I'll let Scott sorry I know. no I was just going to say we should break down the the, the trials as such um, okay because like I, I'm kind of getting mixed feelings with, with them. Um, and I know you've got to suspend your disbelief at certain points. But they keep on... And I like the dynamic of the fact that it's the two... I didn't expect Connery to get shot. I think the first time I watched it, that that's that was probably at a point where it was like, oh shit, now there actually is stakes. He's been shot. He's likely going to die. Um, so I, that was... I didn't I didn't see that happen. So I quite liked that. Um I think the thing with the with the, the first trial is is like so that it's the what is it the penitent man will pass. So obviously the kind of dynamic is is that it's actually it's actually for the first time although they're not together, Indiana and his dad are actually doing it at the same time. You know what I mean? Because Sean Connery's kind of like whispering, oh, "The penitent man will pass." The penitent man will pass. And then Harrison Ford's in the cave and he's going, "The penitent man. What does that mean?" Then kneel before God. But see the thing is, if you actually notice it. See, if you were just to kneel, you would still get cut in half. So it's like, at what point did the penitent man 
kneel and then do a forward roll. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a good point. It's like, it's think, like a yeah, it's uh, there should, it should be more descriptive. Though. It should be the penitent man will kneel and roll before God. Aye, yeah, kneel and yeah. a forward but roll at a certain and... time specifically, <laughs> or you will fucking be like emasculated. Yeah. Um, but uh, timing there is spectacular though, because the way he goes, he goes like kneel and that like a millisecond later the thing comes yeah. down. That's that's brilliant, you know. I've done well, yeah. As I say, that kind of silly kind of part aside, it's like. It's proper scary because obviously they send the first sort of soldier in um, and you see it. And again, you kind of, the way the kind of camera is shown, it's like, it's almost as if it's like a ghost coming towards the guy, you know, because the cobwebs kind of move aside um, and you do kind of have that other worldly kind of effect. Um, so no, I, I thought that, I thought it was quite cool the way they've done it. Andrew, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I don't have too many issues with the finale. I think it's seen in the tomb, it's quite eerie and atmospheric I don't think you can argue with it I think you know the stakes are really high I think it's quite when he encounters the night eventually it's again it's quite atmospheric and it's got that kind of supernatural feel to it and I think the special effects and that kind of thing are as well as you could have done at that time I'm a a bit disappointed what happened with Alison Doody's character going back after after the Grail, I suppose again that's maybe just a kind of reflection of a lot of the Jones adversaries that were consumed by greed, and greed was their kind of undoing. I think as well, that's what the consequences film, could be. I, I got the feeling they felt well. She has sided with the Nazi. This character cannot mm-hmm. survive the film. Yeah, male or no female, redemption. this character yeah. is going to get the payback. They had a moment of redemption almost with Jones, but the actual they will see their um, comeuppance, and I think that was kind of what. Uh, happened there, and I think the set design was fine for it. It was again very at- atmospheric and kind of depicted the situation of that Jones would have been in, really. If you know what I mean. See, see, going back to the trials, right? See, on the second trial where he obviously stands, because you've got to, you've got to assume that people have got past this the first trial, right, at some stage. But see, obviously, when Jones steps on the J and it breaks through. Is the does the knight go back through there and fix the broken hole? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But it does maybe... <laughs> or, does, or does it just stay there? So it's like, well, it's definitely not that one. I think it does. Yeah. That's, <laughs> he's, that's, um, he's annoyed when people actually try to come through. Ah, it's, oh, for God's sake, did they get past the first trial? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they call the masonry people. Well, it, they wouldn't say it that fast. It would be like, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he chose... Poorly. <laughs> Spat out, man, my God. Hang on a minute. This guy's like 700 years old. 700 years old. <laughs> but the, 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 the third trial, so see, here's the thing with the third trial, right? So it, I think Connery keeps on saying, does he not say something like, so obviously it's like a leap of faith, right? And I think Connery keeps on saying, like, you have to believe, you have to believe. So at that point, I thought, well, maybe there is actually something spiritual about this. Maybe there, there actually isn't. Like, if you don't believe, the, the, the bridge literally won't appear. But it's obviously just, it's just there. So I think that bit for me was kind of like, oh, well, you've just got to, you've just literally got to be yeah, you could so, just, so. You could kneel down and just touch it. Like, if I, just, oh, there it is. Like, like. It's very convenient where it's like if if you walk in, you need to be like walking in with the exact same kind of direction 
for that to line up so perfectly that you will think it's an optical illusion. But as I say, as soon as the camera starts to pan, you then see that, well, the bridge is there. It's just it's it's just camouflaged almost. I just kind of thought that bit was like, eh. Your expectations are too high for this, you know? It looked, it, 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 I suppose it looked good, but it's like, was it about belief? Because I don't, I don't th- necessarily think Jones is the J- Jones is like portrayed as a a kind of religious or spiritual guy. You know what I mean? So they're not supernatural uh, like things. There are just the first one's timing, the second one is just knowledge, and the third one is just well, just put your foot in front of each yeah, other and yeah, just, uh, like you you could, I mean, theoretically, just be way off, and you're sort of whoa. <laughs> and even then, you have to have the courage to actually walk across this bridge that's barely narrow there. yeah so don't know. it's quite tense anyway i think that what yeah. is a, a, a bridge so to speak you know for jones to get across that kind of but in term, yeah but in terms of you know you talk about the special effects actually the well it's not de-aging it's what would you what would you class it uh extreme aging extreme aging of donovan like yeah. that 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 was actually like that 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 was actually a first ever and in film where it was the first it was the first digitally composed um like effects um and you can see it's the first ever digital oh, effects aye, but aye. you know for what it was doing it's not horrendously aged like no. it, I, I wasn't uh too put off by it but i mean no. it has what aged. an ironic statement the aging scene has not aged yeah <laughs> there you go that's that's but, the, uh, that's the thing as you come through for this capiche no. podcast what I thought was quite funny about it was the fact that Donovan appeared to be alive even when someone would actually be dead. Like, as he was crumbling in front of her, like, he was still moving and screaming. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I know. Yeah. At, at, one, at what point do you go like that? Like, Donovan, could you just stand away from the grail, the holy grail water? Because I don't want any of your, like, hair or anything like that, like, flying into that or your, your vomit when you're fucking rapidly aging. He was very trusting that she's chosen the right one. I'm not even going to doubt her. This exactly. is it. it was like a split second decision. Yeah. Like, I can imagine a WH. But then that's <laughs> the thing. That's the thing about her character because he puts his trust in her. She's obviously called Doctor uh, Schneider, mm-hmm. yeah. but at no point, at no point in her in the in the film did it actually like you get the, the impression that she is a doctor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, I would agree with that. Yeah. She's, just a, she's just a fucking fleshlight for the Joneses. <laughs> oh, my God. There you go. Now, that is... That is that's that's <laughs> I, I would see that like on the character's profile. And what, you should change the Wikipedia <laughs> entry and just put that in there. That'll just to see what people would say. Episode 99, fleshlight for the Joneses. <laughs> fleshlight for the Joneses. I know. I mean, my God, the strength in that statement is uh, that is a classic and a half, by the way. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to <laughs> say on the finale, guys? Or we want to move on to anything else before we move on to ratings? Well, here's so here's another thing. So um, you've got the old knight, right? And then it's he obviously, Jones obviously picks the right cup, and then it's like, you chose wisely uh, he then goes out so are we to assume that when Harrison Ford drinks it and then he obviously pours it on Connery's wound and then Connery drinks it as well are we to believe that they have in kind of some capacity some kind of immortal so I thing? thought that as well I was confused I was like oh no and oh, hang on, no, actually, no, no, but it's actually only when they're in that area uh-huh. 
So when yeah, they come out, yeah, that that's, area, that's why it starts it. to collapse when she tries to take the grail out because it doesn't work outside, but also. Like I think they can heal Henry and then, but and it will work. It will bring him back to health, but then he'll mm. age like normal. But um, what I found interesting as well was the old guy, like how weak he was. So like mm. immortality doesn't being immortal in in the Indiana Jones universe doesn't mean that you'll stay at your peak health forever. You've, no. You'll start. You'll still degenerate. Oh, so like, he can't even lift his sword. Uh huh. Uh-huh, tries, tries to fight Indiana. Eh? Which is kind of similar to Nicholas Flamel in the Fantastic Beasts prequels to Harry Potter, where he's an immortal character, but he's a ve- he's presented as an extremely old and weak man. Like somebody shakes his hand and breaks his finger. Like there's this idea like, that like immortality. How does, he, how does he eat? Or where does he go to get his food? Well, I don't think he needs to. I think that's the thing, like that he will not die no matter what. Right, but he will eventually slowly cr- like become like paper and just blow away, like fade away. <laughs> that's like the like, worst. I mean, you look at skin. Do that. So yeah, you're, but that's, you're that's, aging. That's, that, but that's a biblical thing. That's very much the idea mm-hmm. of. Um, yeah. There's always a there's always like a a, a sort of a, a downside to these things. Mm-hmm. So you can have eternal life on Earth, but you slowly not rot. But I suppose like seven hundred years, and that guy was sitting in the one spot, like. But if he'd been like out and about doing things, he would have been even worse in a worse condition, you know. So but effectively, they... what happened to Donovan was what the guy would go through in hyper speed. If that Aye. makes sense. Aye. So did we know? Did they set up the rules? Did we only just find out about the rules at the end? In terms of you, it's the night that tells us that, didn't we? Uh-huh. So well, do, we, we don't know that before. Uh huh. And and I suppose there's also the implication of how the night is. Of what mm-hmm. the alternative, so you get the idea of what drinking the wrong one would do to you, but you also get the idea of what drinking the right one would do to you. And neither one is probably desirable, really. Because no. then you kind of start to think, what would, how would the Nazis have used it? So would they have just basically given it to Hitler, and he would have lived? Well, he probably would have taken up occupancy in the temple mm. for the for the for significant periods, and then gone out and done things, and then gone back to the temple where he would continue to, you know, persist. For long, long periods of time, and at least the at least the night is. I think the night. Can you get the impression he's just like, listen, I'm fucking done. Like, can you just uh-huh. take my place? Like, I'm I'm kind of sick of this. I kind of just want to die. Right? I want to go and get a. I want to go and get a cheeseburger. You know, I want to get a sprite. Well, I, I, th- I, I think that's the whole idea. Is that God? Like, the, and that's why I go into the idea I mentioned earlier on about the idea of religion, Abrahamic religion being valid in the Indiana Jones universe. Is that Basically, what's what's implied is that the Holy Grail is not for humanity. It's something that is a relic of a more heavenly force. And what's happening here is that God would want humans to die to go to heaven or hell. He would not want humans to live on the earth forever. And in fact, that would that would actually be a curse. So, because you imagine that, how unlucky would you be, right? If Hitler got it, Hitler's the one in that cave. You get through those three trials, right? And you think, right, fucking brilliant, I'm going to get the Holy Grail. And Hitler's just there and he just shoots you. <laughs> I know, but that's the thing. But I reckon, oh. I, I genuinely think if the Nazis had got the knowledge of it, what would have happened is that Hitler would have taken up residence in that temple and it would yeah. have been turned into a government thing. Like they would have they would have ran their government from there probably. And Hitler yeah, would could, have been an eternal leader. The temple outside, you could just imagine the kind of long swastika banners just mm. like draping, draping down it sort of thing. 
Yeah, and people coming in and out with their orders. Yeah. <laughs> God, I mean, for Terrifying. a thousand years, you know, the idea oh. of a thousand year Reich would have been literal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Hitler would have been in there, unable to, not only unable to be um, uh, got to, but probably unable to be killed, even if they did get to him inside. Mm, possibly, yeah. And, and not only Hitler could have been immortal, it could have been all of his top guys, you know? Well, so, if you got like Brock Lesnar or somebody who's really tough and sort of brought him out, maybe you could get him. Carried him outside. Yeah. Yeah. Or Dolph Lundgren, maybe. Yeah. But anyways... Uh, well, I yeah. like to see, obviously, so after that, and you know, obviously getting back to it, um, Dr. Schneider tries to get the grail. Jones tries to grab her. She obviously falls and dies. And I think this is... I think, to me, I, I, I seen when Indiana Jones is trying to kind of grab the Holy Grail, at this point, this is kind of where this, the, the arc between Jones Sr. and Jones Jr. kind of kicks in. Because... In his hands, Sean Connery's, he, he literally sees the thing that he's been chasing his entire life. It's right in front of him. But actually, the significance of that moment is, is that it's not the Holy Grail. It's actually his son. So then when he says, Indiana, let it go, it's kind of it's kind of like his not, He's not saying boy as well. No, he's, he's, he, calls him, he calls him Indiana. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, that's actually what... India, that's what he prefers. It's not his actual name; it's just a nickname. But that's what he prefers. So it's like Indiana, let it go. And I think that's what he, I think that's a moment for his character. That's meant to be the moment for his character, where it's like, right, the the Grail's gone, but I've got my boy type thing. Yeah, it's um, a cool and profound moment. I think it is. I think, and then obviously when Jones outside drawing the horses, and it's like, what have you found, Dad? Illumination. That's that's kind of his way of saying. He now he now sees what was in front of him his whole time and what he's neglected type thing. So I think I think that's cool. Unfortunately, leading up to that moment, I just never I never bought into the I never fully bought into the you know the character arc of the two of them. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, I think we will have to uh, round up. Is there anything else you want to mention before we do our ratings? I'm going to pop in and say um, I think it really is given the time factor time for ratings anyway isn't it okay cool mm. excellent Gordon seen as though this was your film more or less uh, you want to start us on this one what's your what's your rating for this film it's a 4 out of 5 it scrapes a 4 out of 5 I've got to say Temple of Doom is a fairly solid 4 out of 5 I feel The Last Crusade and do you know this started off as my favourite indie film out of the first three um, but I don't I think it could be my least favourite so far I mean, it, the plot I actually think is really good. I don't really have too many issues there. I mean, I like the fact that Jones is it. I like how in each of the three films so far we've had something different. I loved how this obviously Raiders. I guess it's it's quite straightforward. Um, something we've never seen before: a guy chasing a rare artifact and having to battle Nazis. The second one, he's thrown into a situation. He just out of the blue has to help help villagers just because he's stranded there. And this one he's used by by Nazis and other conspirators, which I really like. So the plot is is good. I like how the fact he's lured to his his own he's lured by the fact that they say his dad's gone missing. I like I like the way he was tricked into it. So um like I said, it's like the Holy Grail is like the ultimate artifact. So everything's been leading up to this. This is kind of what Indiana Jones is all about. Um there is good comedy in the film, like I said. Um, I do, I do enjoy like the dump. There's like the double take when remember when obviously he's hanging. They thought he's fallen off the cliff, and then 
and then he appears next to like Salah, um, Brody, and and Henry Senior, and he and Henry Senior kind of looks at him, and then think, oh, does just looks away again, and then he looks again. <laughs> so it's like that. Vice of that is good comedy that works. Um, we, never, we never really spoke about that scene, although we kind of praised the CGI or the effects, the tanking over the cliff with the clear mannequin sellotape to the top of it um, looked a bit shit. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I just realised that because I I, should, I wanted to mention that double takes is one of the funniest double takes I've ever seen given what was at stake. But So there's good comedy in the film. I, I, there's some really sharp one-liners. Um, there's real mystery, non, pretty much non-stop action. Um, tremendous John Williams score. Um, gripping finale. Harrison Ford doing what Harrison Ford does. Grips me throughout. I, I don't... I only kind of drifted away the mid part of the film with some of the comedy. And the, you know, the comedy is where my main issue is with the film. And not only I feel um, Connery could have been better used, given what he's capable of, even as a senior actor, we've seen you know he can still he can still be physical and um, and really kind of self assured and resourceful in films like The Rock and The Hunt for Red October. But more on a not just an editing level, but a, the Marcus Brody, who's a really good character by the way, but then who Elliott. He has his moments in this films, but they really, uh, I really don't like the direction they took his character. He, he became pretty much solely used for comic relief. Just when I talk about incompetence with um, Henry Jones Senior, I mean some of the Brody stuff is just ridiculous. Like, like um, Sal, I like how Sal's like run, and and he has to say it three times. And Brody's like, "Whoa, what do you mean? Like to escape the Nazis?" And <laughs> run. I just that is oh man. I mean, I love how Sal. <laughs> Hooks the guy for the newspaper, but Brody is just—he doesn't get. I just hate what they did to his character. It's just—it's plain. Um, it really, it really. The more I watch the film, the more it annoys me. Um, it's to me, Gordon. I think the best usage of it was when Harrison Ford's at the at the the castle, and he's kind of saying like, "Marcus is—he knows like six different languages, and he can do this, and he can do that." And then it literally just cuts to the scene where. Marcus is coming lost, off and he yeah. can't speak. But I, I, was... I, quite, I quite liked that. I thought that bit was funny. Um, but I, I kind of see what you say. The rest of it, he, he just disappears in, in nothingness of just bumbling, you know, whatever. He yeah. just doesn't, he doesn't do anything to note, to be honest. Now, now in my 30s watching it, he's it's, some of it's painful to watch, actually. It really is. Um, because he's he's on, he's a really good supporting character in Raiders of the Lost Stars. So I really don't like what they did with him. Um, you know, there's not too much huge thing. It's the comedic things that drag the film down. One last thing I was going to say was, um, and that's another Connery thing, and Connery, he still has his moments. He's still, his presence is great. What, do you know, I, I just picked up on this. You know, Scott, you were saying about when it is kind of cool as Indy has to go through the booby traps to get to the Holy Grail, um, his dad is reciting the mm-hmm. the traps, and only the penitent man will pass penitence and all mm-hmm. that. And he is saying it to himself as well. It's like he obviously knows, at least in a sense, how you get past these things. But he made it out earlier on as if he didn't know, because remember he said, "Oh, the only way we'll be able to get through is the notes in my diary." He's like, "My diary's in Berlin," and, and so they have to go to Berlin. But he must have known something if he's sitting there without a book being able to recite. Only the penitent man will pass, kneel before God, and all that stuff. It's like yeah. you were just saying you didn't know. So why do you even go to Germany in the first place? It's that's a bit weird. 
but in Latin, Jehovah starts with an I. Yeah, it's like before he said, he literally said, <laughs> oh, no, you remember, because remember, um, in, Indy says, like, can't you remember? And he's like, I wrote them in my diary, so yeah. I didn't have to remember. So it's like, you need the diary because he doesn't remember. It's like, well, you do remember. Maybe, I, I took that as a, he just wants the diary anyway. You know, he doesn't want the diary in their hands in case he has, but I would have taken it for the fact that he's fucking written it in this book. So quite clearly he has retained, you know, some of the information. I think it was just more of a, no, we need, we just need to get our hands on that diary or get it off yeah. the hands of the Nazis type thing. But yeah, I mean, uh, that again, that, I mean, it took me a long time to notice that, but yeah, it's, it, it kind of scrapes a four because the, the comedic moments, the more I watch it, the more it gets to me. So Indy so far, Razor Lost Ark, Temple Doom, um, Last Crusade, just below that. Uh, right, Andrew, then, what's your rating for this? For me, a four out of five. I would give it, I think it's quite a solid film, and it, I think it ties up the trilogy quite nicely. I like, I mean, sometimes I find you can get a bit mixed up, or what is it Jones is searching for? Or is, or is the Ark of the Covenant in the first one, and it's the Holy Grail in the, the third one? And uh, I think, in a way, it's, it's not imitating the plot of the first one, but you do see the similarities. But I think Ford's great. I think the score's really good. The location's cinematography, you can't really argue too much with. It's a bit more dynamic than the Temple of Doom is because it's like more locations and that kind of thing. It moves about a bit more, probably a bit more characters and sets and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think the villains are kind of menacing enough, probably, you know, in terms of Donovan and the Nazis. It, I, I, I don't know what more I can say about it. I, th- I think it's quite solid and kind of does its job, really. I would agree that I would say the Temple of Doom did feel a more organic film slightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a quite it's, 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 it's a film really, I mean, if you're to define it's just this kind of action adventure. You can't maybe think too deeply into it, but Yeah, it's yeah. almost like it shouldn't be analysed the way we're doing it just now, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean I think you know costumes are great and everything. The score by John Williams is very good. You know what I don't really want to say too much, but Williams could have kind of covered him in a good detail. But I think that has a huge emphasis in the film as well. And cinematography is really, really good as well. The special effects on the whole for what they could do in 1989, I think, are, you know, you can't really argue too much with. But yeah, it would definitely be a four out of me. To me, the first film, Raiders of the Lost Arks, the strongest. I think Temple of Doom's a little bit better in this one, and this one's just a little bit behind. I do find the action sequences as well done as they are. I do tend to switch off. And some of them, particularly, you know, with the tank, kind of the last third of the film, I do think the third, the first third of this film's the strongest. And, the, you know, it does kind of decline a wee bit. And I, I, as I've said earlier, I don't think Connery was brilliant in this. I mean, it, I, I don't find... The comedy scenes with him, I don't find too amusing, but I suppose he does have that kind of presence, and all in all, he kind of works as Jones's father, and the kind of interaction between him and Ford, I would say. Okay, all right. Fran? Um, I, as always, keep this fairly brief and fairly whatever. Um, I would give this, I think I would give it a four out of five as well, but it would be a, it would be a, a strong four if that makes sense, because 
I feel that it loses it loses a little bit by being quite derivative yeah. in terms of trying to, you know, it's got the kind of Star Wars The Force Awakens itis going on, if that makes sense. It's got that sort of thing where it's trying to recapture the magic of the first film. And as we all know, lightning doesn't really strike twice like that. Like you you know, you you have to be cl- you have to be lucky enough to go in a slightly different direction and do really well like the Empire Strikes Back. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what you need to be able to, to achieve. Yep. Okay, so yeah, you kind of have to be able to achieve that. So I feel that it, it succeeded on the whole. I feel that... I don't feel that it's as gripping as the first film. I'm kind of... I'm using the first film Raiders to, to base my judgment, basically. I don't, I don't feel that it quite strikes the same note. I feel that like there's, there's moments that are slightly jarring that we've discussed throughout the film that you know that are maybe not so convincing or oddly placed but there's also fantastic aspects like the music uh is brilliant the acting is generally speaking across the film was great um questions of someone being cast correctly questions of was the writing 100 great all the way through whatever those kinds of things are the things that are the fact that it's derivative as well it's less exciting to watch than the first film but I do think it's a strong four. I think it's it's if it came out today, I mean that the strange thing about it is we're judging it based on the first film. But if this film came out as a standalone film today, we'd all be amazed by it because of how great it is. Do you know what I mean? We'd be like, oh wow, what a, what a movie, you know? So it, it, it is a it is still a great film. Okay, Scott. Yeah, I, I think there's I think there's there's definitely for me I think there's definitely a time in a franchise where the fans or anyone that likes that you you would love it to go back to basics and i think the one that i could reference most modern is the most recent predator film i don't know if any of you guys have seen it pray uh, I, I, I watched it Aye. so so if you compare to the absolute monstrosities of predator films that we've got recently especially the last one they literally went right fuck it let's kind of go back to basics but put a week and a spin on it and that that fits, and I think I think Last Crusade for me did it did it need to do it? Not sure, but I think it goes back to follows the same similar plot to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It does things better again. There's there's parts in it. I think for me, I would sum it up as did I enjoy it when I was younger? Was there things that I quite liked about it when I was a wee boy? Yeah, Indiana Jones, cool, all that kind of stuff. Watching it as an adult, you can I can see a lot of the kind of gaps in the writing, but there's still cool, fun moments in it. So for me, it's a it's a solid four. Definitely better than Temple of Doom. Yeah. Uh, I've been toiling with this one for my first, for the, my watch. I was thinking it's a four, but the more I think about this film, it actually drops to a very high three for me. I, uh, I'm going to have to be the, yeah, I'm going to be the one that's slightly just, um, I would try to think of the reasons I would give it the four, because to me, a four is a, is a really good film. Something that I would be saying you should watch this film, this is really good. It's not perfect, it's not the five absolute classic cinema-changing film, but I don't know, it's it's a very high three. There's, there's maybe, I could, because the cinematogra- cinematography score and performances are all pretty all pretty good, but I don't have an, a real affection for the character and the way that I would other films, and there's something, I, it might just be, there's no nostalgia here, but also when I watch it, I wasn't getting the thrill that I would say when you're watching things like Jurassic Park, when I was glued and every scene I'm taken in by. 
uh, and there is writing issues and things like that. So, it's a is bit... it the glam? Is it the glamorization of the Nazis that you're not not sure about? Uh, no, I, I was perfectly fine with that actually. Yeah, yeah <laughs> perfectly fine with that. Uh, no, it's 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 a very good film, but with a couple of points where I would uh, I've had to dock it, and I'm talking a high, very high three. Look, we're talking right on the cusp. Uh, but it's I'm not gonna let it get the four. I just don't feel uh, I could give it that. So weirdly, I'm saying it's this it's a free in the same way that I gave Temple of Doom, but I definitely know there's a difference. So maybe Temple of Doom's a two in my eyes. I don't know, but hey, mm-hmm. scoring systems. I don't know. It's not a science. Um, but yeah, so I still I still enjoyed the film, and there's things you can really like about it. But uh, yeah, it's um, I wouldn't say it's an all star classic or anything like that. But it does it, it it did something then. It was really popular, and it's obviously a very successful film. So um, and I'm guessing the last and the Indiana Jones that you know commercially, critically, well, commercially the last one has done well. But I know critically, most people don't consider the fourth one to be even in the franchise. Never mind uh, a follow up to these films. But anyways, that's for another podcast. That will do us for. For this podcast, guys, uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Thank you. I don't know how long this is, and it's uh, well, it's pretty much dark now. But uh, I am sweltering. This is, this is coming from the guy at the start of this podcast that says, "Right, we're going to keep it short." Two hours. Yeah. And he says, "I'm going to control the fucking." Hey, I was trying to get to ratings. Like, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about that. Hey, this hey, is on you, mate. Listen, the host, the hostess with the least. That's <laughs> what I call you. Yeah. Right. Okay, guys. So obviously, uh, if you're still listening or one listener, feel free to check out our other stuff, capiche dot online. That's K A P W S H. Of course, check the uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts for the podcast, and there's a few other services we're on as well. If you want to check them out, we also have some reviews and features uh, on and games reviews and things like that on the website, and you can sign up, become a member, all that kind of stuff. It's great. Sign up and uh, interact with us. It'd be fantastic. We will be back next month for another film yet to be chosen. And uh, we will see you then. Thanks, guys, for joining me on this very warm Friday night. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.